We running this, let's go. I'm on a boat, I'm on a boat. Everybody look at me, cause I'm sailing on a boat. I'm on a boat. Greetings everyone, welcome to episode 50 of Salt Ships and Scuttlebutt, a World of Warships podcast, and even though I didn't start this podcast with Captain Green, it's we, we passed a momentous date last year, Greeny. Do you know what date that was? One year of podcast? One year of podcast! We started in the One year of first week of November last year, so congrats to the podcast, um... We're getting very nice um, feedback from viewers. Thank you to everyone that does listen. Greeny has looked at the metrics, and we do have some very unique listeners. So we do thank you for all of that. Now, Captain Green, how's your week been? Have you taken any more meat to the face? No, but I got in trouble at school this week on Monday. So for those of you who don't know, I go to uh, I'm in the Job Corps program, and I'm learning... Uh, essentially how to be an IT professional. And part of being an IT professional is working in, in, a, in a tiered help desk environment. So essentially that's, you know, you're working in an office, say griefers, spreadsheets won't load. He calls tier one. Tier one doesn't know how to fix it. Tier two, or tier one calls tier two, stuff like that. So I'm, I'm on tier two and I've been on tier two for about six, six seven weeks now. And the tier one rotates on a frequent basis just due to the amount of students in that class. Mm-hmm. So tier one called me at the end of the day on Monday and was like, hey, I've, I've spent all day diagnosing this computer. I've been plugging stuff in, unplugging stuff. I, I just, it won't connect to the internet. I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll come down. We'll, we'll work through this. Don't worry. Because, you know, I'm a nice guy. And so I, I get down there, and the teacher in the classroom is a, a, a wonderful person who, I, who I've always gotten along with. So, you know, I was talking to him, and he leaned over, and he's like, Mike, he, he spent maybe five minutes troubleshooting it. He's, uh, he's been playing Roblox all day. And that upset me because I'm, I'm always willing to help people, and I'm always willing to teach, and I'm always willing to learn. Um, but if you start off lying, eh, I'm, it's not something I, I, I very much like. So I, I go over to the computer. You know, oh, you know, I can't get internet. I can't connect to anything. I've, I've just been, you know, using my laptop all day. I'm like, okay. So you 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 work at IT, right, Griefer? Uh, yeah, I, I work with an IT company. Not not to what you do though. I don't do that kind of um, work or anyone. If I understand, yes. So, so you you know basically what the first step in in like physical troubleshooting is, right? Yes. You know, it's make sure everything's plugged in, make sure everything's plugged in the right ports, stuff like that. So, I I, I start doing that, and he's like, "Oh, you don't have to check that. I've I've done it." I'm like, "Yeah, I, I'm gonna check it," and I'm really happy that I did because I found out what the issue was almost immediately. He hadn't plugged in his Ethernet cable? No, close though. So he had taken a USB wireless antenna and jammed it into an Ethernet port, like sideways. <laughs> Is that possible? And damaged, 
damage both the port and the wireless antenna. And I looked at him like, did you install this? And he went, yeah, I plugged that in. I'm like, you, you plugged it in? Yeah, I plugged it in. I set it up. Was it difficult? Yeah, I just don't think the USB port's been used in a bit. And then I looked at him and I called him a lobotomite because he was plugging it into the, the one plug on the back of the computer that, the, that, the US, that it wouldn't fit into. All of the other connect, uh, connector ports were filled. The only vacant ports were the uh, RJ45 port, which is the Ethernet port, and like six or seven USBs. And he, he, he picked the one wrong answer and jammed the USB into an RJ45 and then had the gall to look at me and be like, yeah, I checked everything. Oh, well, let, let's hope let's hope he's... Um, I don't know if it, how that would work warranty-wise, but you see, you're better than my IT. I, I ring my IT for a problem. Do you know what their solution is? Off and back on again. No, it's even better. We're, re, we're re-imaging your computer. That's what I went down there to do initially, because I'm like, I'm probably just going to have to redeploy an image here, and we're just going to that, that is the solution. Goes. I have any... If I have a software, even a hardware issue, they're like... Oh, that might be hard to investigate. We're just going to re-image your computer. It's like, that's not a solution. That's not what I'm looking to do. That's what I, I, I spent the vast majority of my days doing is going around. And it's that and fixing Chromebooks on the network. Because the way the Chromebooks work, they have to be connected to sign into Google, which is how you sign into a Chromebook. But to connect to the internet here, you have to log in on a web page. So you have to sign into the computer to log on to the internet. So it just creates an impasse that the Chromebooks are just unable to do because you can't log in to the Wi-Fi until you log into the computer. And you can't log into the computer unless you're on the Wi-Fi and you log into your Gmail account. So you log into a Gmail as a proxy to get that set up? No, I have to hotspot the computers to my phone and then they can sign in on the sign into their <sighs> Google account. That, that's, and then, that's, that's bad. That is bad. And that's why I went and because they, they had a... a, a a thing recently where uh, they were they, they had a, a summit recently with all the IT personnel uh, for the, the job course. And I, I, I was there. I was in the voice call. And the number one question that came up is, why did you guys buy Chromebooks that have this gateway issue? And they were like, oh, they're cheap. Oh, how much did you spend on Chromebook? We're not allowed to talk about that. That means they weren't cheap. <laughs> that means they weren't so, cheap. And someone got a kickback way up the line. Yep. So... <laughs> So that, that's what I spent the vast majority of my days doing. Poor Grinny. <laughs> Poor Grinny. Look, what would you rather do, IT or Delhi, Delhi man? Delhi man. No, I'm, 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 I'm IT all the way. Because at, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm, my, my dream is to get into a position where I can arrive at my desk, quietly, you know, hang out, just watch YouTube videos and stuff, and then act like a god whenever tier one can't fix anything as I float down from my cloud and bippity boppity boop it and then go back up to my cloud. I'm, I'm concerned. I'm concerned. I have a little bit of a power trip. I'm concerned. But um, we are joined by a guest this week, a long-time listener to the podcast. One of our first, well, our only real, like all, all the other people that we've interviewed have been clans or uh, work with the title in some way, etc. So I'm very honoured to bring on our first listener in Sapper. How are you doing, buddy? That's pretty good, mate. Nice intro. Yes. Well, 
Well, what can I say? As Greeny um, alluded to before, oh hell, not another Aussie. So you are from Australia. What part of Australia are you from? Um, all over the place. Originally from Sydney-ish. Oh, you're dead to me. Um, dead to me. Oh, wait, wait. Were you in Lithgow? <laughs> no, 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 no. No, most of the way down the hill. Place near uh, sort of lower mountains. So yep. maybe half hour from Penrith. Okay. We're, we're going to freak Greeny out with, our, with the None names. None of your towns sound like towns. <laughs> sound like magical spells. Hey, we, we, should, we should throw him out with some of the um, indigenous names for some of our um, towns as well. Imagine him trying to pretend about Wagga Wagga. Wagga Wagga, Warnable. <laughs> Wagga Wagga. <laughs> uh, look, we've got the best town in New South Wales. It's a really original. It's called Orange. <laughs> like the colour of the fruit. <laughs> you take a pick, it's the same spelling. <laughs> They're the same thing, mate. <laughs> no, but what I, I know it's the same spelling, but I just want to know, like, whenever somebody planted the flag and, you know, this this new town, Orange, I wanted to know what he was thinking of. It Was it the colour? Was it the fruit? Uh, we've, we've, like, got some, we've got some English named towns, but Wagga Wagga. That, that's, there's, um... I love Wagga Wagga. Oh, I keep forgetting what's the one south of Sydney that everyone commutes to from, not Newcastle. That's I know that's... Wollongong. North. Wollongong, that's it. Uh, Massachusetts here actually has some pretty weird names as well because there's a lot of English names kicking around, you know, like New, New Bedford, stuff New, like that. New Boston. Exactly. But there, there's also a whole bunch of um, native, natively named towns and towns that just have weird spellings. Like Worcester, the, the Tier 10 American Light Cruiser. That's a city here in Massachusetts. I know how it's spelled. It's not pronounced Worcester. It's not Worcestershire sauce. It's Worcester. I love Worcestershire sauce. Stuff like that. So, you know, I am I, I always love hearing about weird names. Yeah, you, oh, wait, wait. you got to go to WA where we've got Upper Swan in a loo, but I, that, that's digressing. What got, <laughs> what got you into World of Warships, Sapper? Um, I was a World of Tanks player from way back, um, and basically a friend of mine went, oh, do you want to play World of Warships? And I went, really? You're, you're into that stuff? Like, yeah, yeah, it's this cool new game. I'm like, I know, because it, it had been doing the rounds in sort of the World of Tanks uh, forums and bits and pieces for a little while, um, and this was a couple of months after release, and basically I jumped in with a friend and never really looked back. Um, he doesn't play anymore, though. <laughs> yeah, people people have come and gone. The people I started with um, way back when, um, no, none of them. Oh, none of them actually played from the group I started with. But the first clan I played with, um, they, a lot of them are still there. Yeah, it's way. there's still there's still a handful. Like there's still a few folks I run into from time to time that I used to play water tanks with, but we don't really talk or anything. I just run into them in game. I'm like, oh my god, it's that guy. Um, one that you guys may know is Major Rage. Um, I used to play um, water tanks with him. Like we were in the same clan for a little while, and and that sort of stuff. He basically taught me how to play, and still run into him on ships every now and then, which is ah. pretty interesting. All well and good. Now, if if like to get into Australia, like okay, this is a meme before anyone complains. To get into Australia, because we started off as a penal colony, you still have to prove that you're a convict, that you've committed a crime. So if we ever let Greeny into Australia, what food or venue would you recommend that he try? Uh, probably Vietnamese in Bankstown. So you want me to go to Australia 
to have Vietnamese food. No, but we we have some great Vietnamese restaurants all around. Oh, I, I have no doubt. It's it's not bad. It's you know more of a. It's like going to Texas and be like, yeah, I'm gonna have Mexican food. It's like, eh, yeah, yeah, okay, but- I can see the influence. I don't know. No, look, it, it's it's just one of those things, like uh, particularly in Sydney, um, Melbourne, a little bit as well. Like, there's these really, really concentrated, dense um, communities, communities yeah. from from like sort of different countries and stuff. Um, and I ne- I'll never forget the Vietnamese I had at Bankstown. There was like four Vietnamese places within not even a block, and not a single one of them had a menu in English. <laughs> <laughs> so. And it was just delicious. Um, but that's why I said Vietnamese and Bankstown. I, re- I reckon we should take Greeny to a fish and chip shop and he would like... You know what a Mars bar is, Greeny, I know. Yeah, yeah, the candy bar. Yeah, but you should go to a fish and chip shop and get a Mars bar in batter. They, they dip I it in bold, batter and then they deep fry it. Bold of you to assume that I, I have not had those. I had a deep fried Reese's ice cream <laughs> cake. At a state fair, yeah, yeah. You want to talk about it? You want a Klond- somebody, somebody took a Klondike bar and deep fried that son of that, a. That bitch. sounds like a coronary oh. ro- wait, a heart attack waiting to happen. It tasted so good. I had like six of them. Oh, oh Jesus Christ! They were cheap too. They're like two bucks. It's probably because the chocolate was out of date. Ah, it didn't matter. Should try that with a Tim oh. Tam. At a big, <laughs> at a big blooming onion too. You know what a blooming onion is. No, I know what we do it's, onion rings here, but I don't know what a blooming onion is. It's when they take a onion and chop it a certain way so that the onion kind of unfolds and, and looks a bit like a flower. And then they, they dip that in batter and deep fry that and it just looks like a uh Yeah, well, I've had that big yeah. fried onion thing. Oh, those are good. Those are good. Oh, sorry, go Sam. You've just for Yeah, you've just made me you've reminded me of something that probably would be a bit on topic, which is uh a Thai stir fry pizza. Ooh. Ooh. I ordered that once for my wife, and I was not allowed to order pizza for the next month. There's <laughs> um, there's a, a a large concentration of uh, various different Asians in a town ta- in a city near my town when I'm home, and I, I always try and get up on the training and go up there and and have the food there because I am I am a sucker for uh. A lot of uh, Oriental foods and, and like Chinese food, both Americanized and like authentic Chinese food. I'm I love all of that. So I, I'm definitely on board with the Vietnamese. It's it's just I that was kind yeah. of out of left field. No, no, we we have great Thai restaurants. Like if you come down to where I am, I, there are Thai restaurants nearby that are fantastic dumpling houses, and um, you get really cheap dumpling houses. There's just so much good food about. Oh, and it's it's amazing, and it's really geographical too. So I've I've spent a lot of my working life, almost twenty years, moving around the country and whatever with work. But um, it's even in say Sydney, if you get sort of authentic cuisine within, you know, I don't know, Stone's Throw, the CBD or Parramatta, it's usually mint, right? But if you go out twenty minutes out, say to northwest where suburbia is, suddenly the flavour drops off as well it's like it's like because you don't really have those authentic communities you lose the quality food and uh it was it's something that just oh i miss i miss that sort of that authentic cuisine particularly from like you know your bankstowns and your parramatters and your that sort of stuff you're throwing green with all the names 
Yeah, you you have well, no, I, I understand because you have oh, whoa, love, love, love. <laughs> you have um, because you you definitely have like there's a Chinese food place in the town where I live, and don't get me wrong, it's good Americanized Chinese food, but you can go 15 minutes up the train line and be sitting at an authentic you know place, and the food is cheaper and and 15 times better. So I definitely understand when you kind of radiate or when when you leave those uh those cultured areas, you just you get knockoffs, or uh, it, it's just not the same. I'm, I'm going to admit something now. When, when we order Chinese, I because Chinese in Australia is not cheap. I don't know what it's like within um, the states, but for the main dishes, it's usually more pricier than any other takeaway. And w- when it comes down to ordering rice, because you need a container or two, and I'm like, I'm not paying, spending six bucks on rice. I'm just going to make it myself by the time they deliver. I always opt out spending the five to ten bucks on rice. I'm tight on that. I have, <laughs> I have a rice cooker, and I have used that thing blackout drunk. It is, and at, I do the exact same thing. I get him. All right, I'm. I, here comes my Chinese food. I'll just, just throw rice. some rice in here. I'll put some steak in there. And then there we go. I'll go. I'll have a few more beers. And then when I come back, the Chinese food will be here and I'll have some nice rice. If, if I'm getting takeaway, I'm not spending like 10 bucks on rice. But yeah. then I get to ordering and then I just spend it anyway. <laughs> no, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. I've just, I I've, had a, I've become not, not, not tight. Like if I'll spend it, but. It's just it's it's a waste of money spending five to ten bucks on rice that you can cook by the time it gets there. Last time when I was last time when I was in Germany, my friends and I went to a PF Chang's and they had a whole bunch of rice at home and I was just like, Yeah, I'm just gonna you know, we'll we'll take our stuff home and then I'll just um, you know, eat it with the rice there. And as we were going out the door, uh the guy was like, Oh, do you want a free thing of rice? And I was like, Yeah, okay. And then I just like got back there and I was just like, God damn it. I didn't I didn't need this. I don't know why I took it. <laughs> we, we should talk about fried rice challenges another day, trying to find the best fried rice. But we do have a special question uh, for Sapa. So it, came, it comes from the Waterline episode that was recently revealed from the World of Warships uh, channel. And it's coming in spring of 2023, spring of obviously in the Northern Hemisphere. Repeated battle entry with the same ship. So... The blurb that we've got at the moment is we're working on improvement that will allow players to enter a new battle with a ship that was just destroyed without having to wait till the previous battle concludes. This way you'll be able to fight more battles playing your favourite ship during a game session or grinding ship. This option should help speed up your game progress on your favourite ships. It doesn't mention captains, but you'd think that would be part and parcel. How do you think this would impact the game, um, good or bad? I think it's terrible. <laughs> Basically, you're going to incentivize people to play fewer ships and focus on one or two at a time, so they'll progress up the, the, the tech tree quicker. It's, it's bad. People need to be playing more of a variety of ships, and currently, with if you, you know, you shipped up explodes whatever you go you get back to port and you're like oh maybe i should play that other thing that i haven't touched in a little while so mm-hmm. i think it's 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 going towards that short-term quicker gratification more of a focus on certain things and i, I just don't think it's a good idea to be honest greeny what do you think 
from a self-centered perspective, this is awesome because there's days where I just want to bang out, you know, Xenon games or, yep. or, you know, just keep playing stuff back to back. And I, I was originally actually doing some center, uh, some thinking because I, I watched his waterline episode um, while I was sitting at my desk making tier one go and do things. And um, the, the main thing that I was concerned about, the main thing that I was thinking about was, isn't this going to prompt players to run it down a lot more in randoms yeah that that's that's is, my fear you already have I, I think overall my opinion is i think it's a good change um people have probably been asked for it we got it's similar in other games i know war thunder does something similar like this once you leave a battle um but i, I my fear is do you know how people complain i'm in a tier eight oh it's mainly tier tens i don't want to play they're just going to press w die and take their boat out into another game that, that's what I was thinking. And then I remembered that people already do that. And because, <laughs> no, because literally, I'm not even joking. I was thinking about that after I watched the Waterline episode. It was three, it was three o'clock. My class gets out at 3 30. I, I went and I played an Elbing game, and an Abuki W keyed at me down the 10 line. And I was like, okay, this is something that's already taking place. Why would I get upset about it potentially causing it more it, when it's something that, that already happens? It, and it, it does, but they don't get to play the Ibuki straight away. they got to wait the 10 minutes, or as Sapper said, they got to go play another ship unless they sit there waiting for that ship to come out. H how will this impact ranked when um, your DD throws himself away, your BB he just leaves and plays that same ship in rank straight away. I assume that this will happen in all game modes. They didn't articulate that at the moment. Well, the like I said, it's not going to stop people from doing who have already been doing it. So, I, I, the I can definitely see more of it happening, but people saying that this is like directly causing pe more people to just like run it down, I think is a little bit of a moot point because it's, it's, it already happens. It already happens. And again, it doesn't, it's not like it's not happening to a, it's not like it's an isolated incident. There's a lot of times where you just have somebody run into the middle of the map and then they just go and they play the next game. So why would I, get upset about a system that allows me to keep playing the ships that I, you know, want to play and I'm enjoying playing. If it's, you know, it's not going to, I don't know. It's not going to cause people to keep doing that. This from Sorry, Sapa, you go. I, I just think that like anything that in incentivizes a sort of a more singular or narrow focus in the game and reduces players' incentives to expand their horizons is a poor change. Because what's the, the prime example is submarines. Once you've played them a few times, much easier to counter them. Same with CVs. Oh, sorry, sorry. If, I, I, I don't speak submarine on this podcast. <laughs> no, keep going. No, but that's the, the point is, is that, yeah, like, I mean, we've all got our own opinions on those, type, yeah. those ship types, but if you play them a little bit, it becomes much easier to mitigate or play against. And I think that this type of change is just going to basically incentivize you know, newer players to just focus on the US battleship line, which isn't really going to give them 
the sort of experience to become better at the game. This this change, I think, would hurt your players more than anything, as you said, because they're just going to constantly regrind or replay their ship. It's not even being narrow-minded, but they may not watch um, their team play to victory. They may not learn from their mistakes because they're just getting the ship back over and over and they can play that boat yeah. over and over. That is very fair, and that is uh, that is a point that I, I have no real defense on. Because once you remove the risk and once you remove the punishment from uh, playing poorly or, or making bad choices, you, you've just opened the floodgates of people just continually doing it. Is there... Um, and it, because again, why would I care if, you know, I got, if I went into a bad position and I got detonated in my Xenon, if I just got my Xenon back? Yeah. And how would that... You know, I remember there were times where when I was just starting off and like I I really only wanted to play battleships. I was only playing the US battleships. So like I'd just sit there and wait for the Wyoming to come back into port. You know? And and the whole time I, I would be, I'd be thinking, I'd be like, okay, I did X, Y, and Z. It caused A, B, and C to happen. And, you know, that led to my death. When if it just comes back immediately, it's just, oh well, I misplayed. Here we go. I go again. I would say this, yeah, exactly. This is actually a pretty complex coding change for them because they have to factor in the captain um, XP credits, flags, all these other things. Unless they're just going to do an arbitrary take one off and then just calculate it all when the ship comes back eventually. Um, I, if they're doing this, one thing I would love for them to do is to somehow. Get in, do you know when you maybe DC'd or you've logged off, you come back on, you've got a victory or defeat, but you want to see that that score and you can't. It always says detailed statistics for this game are unavailable. It would be good if they could have a way that you could see your games end screens as well. I, I, I somehow see these interrelated, but I, I doubt that um, the company would. Yeah, and I, I think as far as like the earnings and that sort of stuff goes, I think it'll just apply like it currently does when the battle is complete. It's credited. Because um, if, if you think about like naval battles and that sort of stuff, there can be some delay in that applying to those, uh, oh, those you, different you, values. You, and you brought up a good point. If I, if I finished game one, I died early in my Pensacola. I was doing naval battles. It was my last battle. But I got out to port. I kicked off another battle won that one and the first game hadn't finished, which one would it count? I'd I'd bet on the one that started first, but I don't know. I'd look <laughs> I, I know they, they, these are questions that will come down the that but they, these are questions that I'm sure they have to consider. It's not just uh they can roll this out and you get your ship again because it, it would have a impact or flow upon things, I believe. Yeah, I I still just think that it would be kind of like in in war thunder where it applies a preliminary or it just doesn't apply anything at all and then once the battle is physically done then you'll get allocated your your rewards and stuff should, should there be any negative like even a preliminary um base xp say i threw out my dd and got like 20 xp because i didn't like the teams or the map and i just yellowed in and died do you think there should be a minimum threshold to get those boats back to sort of mitigate any potential throwing? Something that War Thunder does that I think is, is a good idea is they will do what's called the crew locking. Essentially, 
they'll the lock your entire lineup if you just, you know, play Air RB and you just fly your jet into the ground. Yeah. And, it, and it's like a five-minute penalty for you. And I think that stuff like that is very good because it, it's, it's, again, it's time where you're sitting there like, I could be playing the game if I didn't just dump it, you know, dump myself into the ground here. Yeah, and look, I, 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 I don't think it's going to be, you know, really like the, the end of the game or like any mad issue, but I just think it's a step in the wrong direction. Like, I don't see the need for this change. Like, I think it's, I'm guessing it's geared towards newer players. Like, that's, they've probably got some feedback that said, hey, I want to play that ship over and over and over again. And they went, well, why don't we just change it? But, you know, I mean, it's not really going to impact the game that much, but I just don't think it's a good choice. I, I don't think it'll impact it um, too much. I, I can't, yeah, but see, I've got every ship. Um, if you're a new player starting end of the game, or you're halfway through a grind, it, it could be very beneficial. If I've got only four hours to play on a weekend, I just want to grind up uh, my cruiser line or DD line. And I understand from that perspective, it'd be quite beneficial. So, look, we'll come back when a, if with more details, and we can discuss it further when it does. But it'll be, it will be good to see how they implement this with um, information as it comes to hand because it, it's coming out soon. It's what spring yeah. next month. So next four months, we'll see this change potentially. Mm-hmm. And um, looking at the Wardline episode, if you go to the main webpage, you'll see a link there. Or if you're on the YouTube channel, you'll see the Wargaming Wardline 2020 Winter 2023 episode. We're just having a quick look at each of the key notes that we think for 2022 and going forward. So 2022 wrap up. Um, super ships. We saw Patry, Edgar, Klosvitz, Dalana, Sekiu, and Admiral Ushakov. Um, and then we've got Joshua Humphreys and uh, Kuning were released for closed testing. Um, got a got a question here. Like super ships in the game, they're here to stay, but we, we do see matchmaker Q dumps from them. I I don't know if you get that on Asia too much, Sapper. But if a CV's waited too long or a DD, because maybe no one wants to play them, sometimes you get these really wonky Q dumps even at peak times. Should we have a time gate matchmaking for super ships like we do for other gamers like ranked, etc.? I'm not sure. Like it's at least on on Asia, you don't really get those sort of Q dumps unless it's odd times. So you know, sort of five in the morning for Australian time, that sort yeah. of thing, because the whole server's not around. But that happens at any tier. But the functionally, they're just tier elevens. Um, so I don't. They are, I but there there aren't a lot. Like even on peak times on NA, um, say four or five hours ago, I, I've been in Q dumps where. Um, I'm in a tier nine or ten, and it's a five v five because there are two two super CVs, and obviously one's waited long enough for another super CV, so it's just dumped everyone into a game. I've not seen that much, even like off peak time here. Um, it's yeah, it's it's a rare rare thing, if anything. I mean, well, said you that, are the CV loving server. <laughs> yeah, well, we. You, pretty much one in 10 or maybe two in 10 games, you wouldn't have a CV. Um, you'd get games where you've got two CVs each side more frequently than you get a game without one. I would hate, I, I should I should ask this. What's the impact of Malta being on the Asia server? Do people still play Cruises? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's doesn't, from what I've seen, it, it doesn't really change much as far as team lineups. It just changes how you approach the game so you don't you don't think as statically or sort of um 
yeah, you basically just want to stay mobile so you can't actually get, get clamped. melted. Fair enough. Um, we saw the introduction to a battle pass that was released in 11.10. We, we had some, well, I had some early concerns, even though I have played with battle pass before in different games. Um, we've had now three months of battle pass, gentlemen. What do we think about it? Uh... It, it, I think I don't. I don't honestly have that big of an issue with it. It's you can pay to upgrade it. You can not upgrade it. It doesn't really. You know, all it does is change the rewards you get. But regardless, you still get rewards. So like, I, I'm I'm fine with it. I think that it could have been implemented in a way worse way. Um, and something that I don't like is putting tech tree ships. At the end of the period battle pass. Yeah, I, I, that, that, that had some negative feedback. Some people even bought the paid battle pass. They actually thought it was the premium or a premium ship. And when I, I pointed out, no, that's a tech tree, they were unhappy with that. Yeah, and I can like, you know, see why. I, I just don't think there should be any ship at the end of the battle pass, but I understand why they would want to have like an incentive to upgrade or to get people invested in the battle pass. But I just, I don't think that they should be doing that because what they're doing is creating a compulsion, much like your sort of your dockyards and things like that, where you're in, you're, you're forcing people or encouraging them to play for that purpose. And I don't think that that's good psychologically or for people in people's enjoyment. I think you should just want to, play ships to just take the ship out and shoot some stuff do you know what i mean yeah i, I do i take do that yeah. and it's well documented by many uh, sources that th these kind of mechanics are to engage people to play your game more because they they want to get the the loot at the end of the tunnel and so even if they're not enjoying it you're getting them to play the game over and over and over just to get that carrot yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like, and I, I don't know about you guys, but um, over the last few years, I've been getting more and more into like indie games, like uh, Deep Rock Galactic or Valheim. Ooh, oh no! You, you said you said DRG. No, Ooh. no. Gr Ooh. Green, Green is Greeny's going to make you an honorary honorary American now. Yep. Yep. You get you <laughs> get one time where you can tell me to f off. Oh my god! Who do you play in Deep Rock? Everything. Uh, I think I'm a gold on all of them, or okay. maybe I'm got scout left to go so well you and i should play some deep rock at some point <laughs> just saying Shame. not to not to totally derail the conversation but. No, but, no, but the point is that these games that they've got you've got an intrinsic motivation to play you just play because you enjoy them do you know what i mean like sure there are things along the way to achieve and all that sort of stuff but you're not going in and playing to achieve those things you're going in to play because you enjoy playing the game. And that's my issue with the whole Battle Pass concept. Even though it is a more efficient, better cleanup of the previous daily, monthly mission chains. Yeah, the, the only thing I recommend is if, you, if you're looking at spending money on Battle Pass, just see as, as you get towards the end of the month, if you've completed the free-to-pay and you like the rewards in the premium, that's when you should buy it. Um, spend your 2,500 dubs on upgrading it so you get the steal or whatever goodies. If you don't, save your money. 
But a hundred percent. But I mean, look, I can't talk. I sink a lot of dubs in this game, particularly um, even the battle passes. I think getting the the, the top tier. <laughs> oh, the, I was cynical about the top tier, and, and yes, the, I, I I don't mind that they change it every month. But to be honest, the top tier ones have actually been interesting some, for what they've given per month. Sometimes more steel, or the, the the balloon one never worked, as far as I understood. I don't think we'll see that again. But the free D mounts or the captain retraining, it, it can come in handy if you're going to do a lot of regrinding and resetting of your ships. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Anyone with two hundred plus ships and who's progressing up the tech trees frequently, that's yeah, I love it. It's great. So yeah, I, look, I might do, I've got to do a recap on the Battle Pass on YouTube, but it's been three months, I want to wait for six months, because currently we've had uh, the T7 Premium Cruiser that, I don't Akaji. see, yeah, don't see many of them in game, I don't think it was that great with the um, Destroyer Caliber guns. We've seen the Delaware. It's a superb ops boat. Yeah, I'll a lot to, of them live in operations. I, I'll have to take your word on that for both of that gentlemen, because I, I must admit I am a amateur when it comes to operations. Um, we've seen the Delaware for this super pass, which is a tech tree. Is it, no, it's a Nebraska, sorry, Nebraska. That's the tech tree ship um, for this one. And I, I really don't think you should get a tech tree ship pay for it but that, that's my opinion and the previous month which was worth it in my opinion because even though it was 60 levels it was a long break with christmas you got the 25 um christmas tokens and you could exchange that for five mega containers which would have cost you more than 2500 dubs so getting all that steel and so forth i thought that was a value for money so it will be interesting to see how they go forward with this in the long run like what what goodies can they give the premium ones maybe some tier 4 economics like they can't give away a ship every so often maybe a camouflage yeah. perma camouflage for some vessels that's yeah. that's why last week with bogsy i recommended like um camos and stuff 3d styles stuff like that that is still worth players time but not a a burden on both the game and you know, it's it's not a burden to give away, and it's not a burden to develop. I've, I've actually got a suggestion. I've got to put this in the feedback channel, but this came through from Bex. Um, he played a lot of EVE online, and apparently in that game you have the ability, there's a button to spin your ship and rotate. And funnily enough, it, he, he asked if it could, if it's possible for the warships. not. I was going to pass it on, but then I saw a clanmate just doing that in-game. He, he was important. All he did was just spin his boat around and around going, you know what, it seems like people want to do this, so I'll I'll put that forward. Because if they're going to do like mechanic changes, like the reset, maybe that one would be entertaining just to spin your boat over and over as quickly as you can, you port. Yeah. I, I do think that, that uh, just to wrap up that sort of the battle pass thing, I don't like early access as a general rule like i understand the justification for it but everyone's in this just this speed path to to get to tier yeah, 10 and, yeah. I, and, they, and they fail learning what what needs to be learned for that class or that line exactly and that line and each of the lines is most of them in the game are superbly designed so that each kind of progresses as you go up um even things like the uh, german cruiser branch there are certain similarities in play style between, say, um, the Nuremberg and the York, 
and those things step you up as you as you go up that tech tree. And that, that's why I just I don't like, particularly from tier eight and up, early access ships. It's just uh, it's not great for the everyday potato. No, I look, I'm I'm burnt out on the three months of early access <laughs> Japanese cruisers. Who cares now? Yeah, it's it doesn't really doesn't really feel like you're getting a gold. You know, no, but it, it, it just—I would love for them to bring back one classic uh, um, release of a line that's not early access. None of these chains. You know what? Everyone start at tier one and grind you yeah, out to I, the tier ten. I'd love to see like twenty-four of the tier fours at tier four. Yep, that's then, exactly what I want. And that's wanna... when you take out your Isakaze and you go. I'm putting on twenty-one point captain. I'm just going to go clubbing for a day. I, I want the days where um, you had like thirty-eight. Um, like Bayerns to grind out German battleships. Everybody's rushed to do it. <laughs> Get to the oh, there is nothing better than sub tier five sink drops with like thirty people. Yep. It's oh, some of the best time I've ever had is in like clan nights where we're all playing Hashidates or um, Eries with twenty one or nineteen point captains back in the day. I will neither confirm or deny this, but oh. When I was in a clan on NA called APOC, and we had a member in there called Waskily Rabbit, and he used to monitor a player that had like 30,000 battles at Tier 1. And when this player was at Tier 1, we did like a 14-man like a drop at Tier 1 to make sure we would club him into the ground. Got to put him back Terrible. The, the worst I've seen was a... Uh, it was... It was 10 or 15k battles in an Orion. And the the player hadn't progressed past tier five and the Orion stats, it was like a 58% win rate. And I thought that's that commitment. That is commitment to HE and good armor. <laughs> so, 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 speaking of stats, now this is, this is completely off topic. I, I remember I ran into a guy two or three times he has about 29,000 battles. This isn't stat shaming. This is, this is just facts. He's got about 29,000 battles in the game on NA. And out of those 29,000 battles, he's got like 28,700 in the T7 Japanese DD, the Akatsuki. I'm like, what? Surely there's another boat in the game other than that T7. Yeah, there's got to be some. Oh, it, it's it's like, got the highest torp. DPM at tier by a country mile. It probably does, but still, like, when you get bored of playing 27,000 battles in a single boat. Oh, look, personally, I would. I mean, there's a reason I've got almost 400 and something, 450 ish boats or whatever. Like, I love it, all of the different ships, but, you know, some people are uh, a little bit focused. (laughs) That that is true. That is true. Now, we're looking at winter 2023, um, some of the key points. I've only got the one big one here. So, correct me if I'm I'm wrong, it's winter 2023 now, isn't it, Greeny? So, they've got one month to spring this upon us, and that is new aircraft carrier branches. So, the former carriers... Winter winter 2023 could mean the end of the year, not... Yeah, no, but then we. Yeah, then, that then, was my read too. It could be, but then when, uh, beneath that, it had spring twenty twenty three on the actual breakdown. I don't know because they, ha- well, they, 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 they had they had twenty twenty two wrap up, then they had winter twenty twenty three, and then spring coming. 
So it's a fair logic point, but surely by now we would have seen a little bit more detail. Uh, and and my understanding is that they're still kind of trying to nut it out, which oh, they are. Maybe, isn't maybe where you'd want them to be correct. if you're releasing in the next month. I don't think but, they're. I don't think they'll release. Maybe they'll just inform us what those changes will be in the next month. Um, so they the. They announced their initial ones, if we all recall, which was going to be a more of a support CV. So based on test back, testing results and feedback, um, they understood that the new carrier branches would not be able to deal damage directly. And so so it, no, no, they wouldn't be popular. Yeah, they're as... like support CVs, I think. Correct. Yeah, so... look, support CVs is a great concept, but their design choices to this point have been based around the concept of every ship needs to have autonomy to do damage right and i don't yeah in this the current reward system in game is so heavily damaged and kills biased that it's going to be interesting to see how they how they approach this because I, I, liked, I liked one thing they mentioned um they're working on a mechanic for minefields to be deployed by aircraft now that's something i wish they've given some DDs, like, it'd be great to deploy a minefield that might be active for 60 seconds or a minute. Sorry, 60 seconds a minute, it's the same for two or three minutes, you know what I mean? Down certain channels so you could mine it as you're kiting away. I, I think that would be a great mechanic. Um, it could be trolled a bit if you, depending on how powerful, imagine having a BB that's just sitting there and you put all mines around him. Yeah, I, th I think the minefield's going to be awesome. Uh, but it's going to heavily depend on the implication or how it's uh, implemented into the game. Yep. Because I don't know if it's going to be like Steel Hunter Mines where you can just put them down wherever and they're instant. I don't know if it's going to be like a dive bomber strike where, okay, I'm going to sew mines here. There's a lot of different ways that this could be implemented. I, and I think that's what's going to make or break it. I would love I reckon, I, I, So go. I, I would put some money on it resembling the depth charges without a drop in uh, depth, if that makes sense. Because it, it seems to me that, like, mechanically, AoE um, does damage, that sort of stuff. It, it would functionally probably be very similar. So they'd probably oh, yeah. be something similar to the sort of the air, ASW if you, if you ever stuff played, we've got in-game. If you ever played uh, Operation Dynamo, um, that's no currently not available. That had a minefield in it, so it could also be that you drop the survivor consumable, and um, maybe an enemy ship has to move close enough to take some. Yeah, and I was damage. surprised that I was surprised that that one didn't come back because the underlying issue was the aircraft implementation, and they fixed it with pretty much all the others. So I'm not sure why it didn't come back. But no, that, that was one of I the most know. fun operations out of all the operations. I love that one the most. That's no, it's okay to be wrong. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna have to agree with them here. <laughs> um, but I could really see if if it is just if if it is a um, if you deploy mines from a support CV as a consumable, like say you press T and the way you're flying, you'll drop mines for the next two or three seconds. Can you imagine doing that? Poor, some poor DD in his smoke that he's he's in there farming and suddenly he's got minefields all around him. And uh, yeah. There was an interesting thing that came up on my Discord, which is one of the guys was mentioning. Um, what if destroyers could demine? Yeah, minesweeper. 
and that has a whole bunch of obviously other implications um that goes down to what is it is it a tactical tool or it goes down to nearly the question i'd say it's a it's a consumable uh, uh sorry a um you're consumable because you'd be def aa hydro or mine sweeping but you'd have one a lot more mines because if it became a consumable no one would take it if you didn't see it you see it very often yeah, and, and it's the same issue that the DFAA has yeah. on most ships. The smoke generator one, I'm still not a fan. It sounds great if I'm in a div and I'm in a CV. If I'm in drive, if Green is in his hack or support CV, sorry, Tehal, um, and he you know, drops me smoke in my, my clever, that'd be great. But if you're solo, how many times have you dropped smoke solo randoms for a cruiser a deep yeah, or a I have no DB. compassion for my randoms teammates and they just sail out of it and even though they're dying and you, you give them smoke to try and make them they just ignore it they keep shooting and then they burn out whereas they had a heal if they kept dark they would have healed up and still been in the fight I, I, I still question the smoke one because it's going to be either very strong or Mention people abusing. Oh, CV, you didn't spot, you didn't give me fighters, and you didn't give me smoke. You're being reported. I just, I just don't think that anyone's actually going to do it. Like, I mean, I think, like, I always try and think for the team, but I think in the last, I don't know, thousand battles I've played as a destroyer, I think I've smoked for a friend or in a situation once. Um, and I actually, I even, I think it's in my last video with Shimakaze, and it was literally to prevent a Yamato from getting like lol citadeled by a conqueror as it was coming past an island i just smoked for him so that he got the first shot which uh, yeah, anyway you've got but you've got to run the a, thing you've is, got to run a vampire with another dd spotting into smoking a sleeve and into something oh, i love vampire too it's so good um no but like the thing is that you know the game doesn't incentivize teamwork right mm -hmm. No, it, it doesn't. It, it doesn't. It says it does. Everyone does. expects it, but it doesn't incentivize yeah. it. So, and, and, so this, I think I did a video on it years ago, but essentially the entire XP and reward system in game is heavily biased towards damage and kills. Yes, damage and, and kills. Caps and that sort of stuff. Um, the, the system could be overhauled quite, well, not easily, but it should be to incentivize the sort of play that we would want right so little things like if you're focusing a target with an ally you both get rewards for it you know like if you force a damage uh, dcp um and then someone else gets a fire you get a bit of a reward for it like there's a whole bunch of improvements that could be made in that system to incentivize teamwork and then what would happen over time is that arguably the players will play for their for their own interest which turns out because it's teamwork based you then are getting better teamwork and one of the big things i've thought about with support cvs since they were even whispered um, is how can you implement them effectively until there is a mechanic on and, and, and a system that rewards team play i don't think we'll ever see it in all honesty like um Spotting XP, like you, you could be in a DD and get three hundred thousand spotting XP, but until you do damage or do something meaningful, that that spotting means nothing. Means nothing. And one one that's bugged me for forever is I could get spotting get damage, but if one of those vessels let, lights a fire or floods upon my spotting sh the ship I'm spotting, I don't get that damage from the fire. And I, I think no, that's it's terrible. 
I think that should also count for spotting damage because if you weren't spotting it, they wouldn't have got a fire and then they wouldn't be burning yeah. down. But And it gets even better. So if you, I'm pretty sure, like I haven't, I haven't dived into this subject for a long time since I did that video, but essentially if you're spotting the enemy, right, and your ally fires, if that enemy goes dark, but the shells still land, there's no spotting damage or assisted damage applied. So even though you've affected the outcome by providing that spotting, guns fired, da 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 da, it's generated at the point of impact or the time of impact. Um, and there's like honestly, they could they, they, there's so many positive things about the what of tanks assisted tanked. Uh, combined damage stuff that that could be implemented in water warships mm. quite effectively, and there's another point to this, is which is that if you're in a destroyer and you're at the front, putting yourself at risk to spot, if someone else is within the spotting range of of a ship or whatever, it you both get rewarded with spotting damage, despite the fact that the destroyer is actually the one taking the risk, right? It just gets split up and. It's, oh, mate, I could rant for hours about it, but there's <laughs> so many improvements in, in that, in the rewards-based, or in the system that rewards players for what they do yeah, that so could I, be improved. And I don't, look, we'll wait for more information. Um, smoke generator, I think the minefields might be a striking option, but I, I've seen, it, we'll have to wait and see. I, I'm not a fan of some CVs, especially at super ship ones, but um, we'll see how it goes now. There's been, well, it's they haven't mentioned anything, but how do you think a matchmaker will be modified? Do you think it would be, because these are still going to be even tiers, not going to be odd tier CVs. Do you think we'll see a support CV versus a support CV, or do you think it would be mixed? Um, do you think you might see a cargo versus the equivalent tier 8 support CV? So if you've got something that's pure offensive, I think what would your support I CV do? I think that the great hamster brain that controls matchmaking is just going to go, this is a CV. This is a CV. <laughs> I, I agree. Go have fun. <laughs> I don't think yeah. we're, I don't think we're, we're going to get the intricacies of, Oh, you know, this is a, you know, spotting DD. This is more of a damage DD. Yeah. I think we're going to get games initially where it's going to be a Kaga versus, you know, a smoke CV. I like that. I've, I've just, just got to mention I, this story quickly. Back when I played on SEA, um, my clan leader at the time there, Bob778, we love you, Bob. Um, he we, he was once in our game. Our team had nine radars, and his team had one because um, we did the clan counting. It was like, what's he meant to do in the DD? He got chased around the entire map. Everyone just chained their radar at him. Like the fact that there isn't any soft matchups between radar ships, it's still like I understand how the matchmaker works. And for those listening, it's basically uh, matched by type, tier, and nation, right? At different uh, priorities. So you know, obviously, most U.S. cruisers have radar at higher tiers, so that's how you get the the matchups. But as you mentioned, like it's ridiculous. Like what the, the amount of times, even today, that I jump into a game and we've got one radar and the enemy's got four it's, it makes it's something that it doesn't account for yeah and 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 how do we apply this to support support carriers because the, the, the big thing that i don't think anyone's really thought about is that tactically aircraft carriers are unrivaled because in part due to their spotting power and their reach right how are they going to account for that 
with support elements as well, right? Because in the hands of a, a pro, we know that aircraft carrier in the top 0.01% or whatever, they've got almost, I think it's a 10% better win rate, right? That's how does that, how is that? How is that impacted by support carriers, which have arguably greater tactical power or team influence? And I don't think that they'll be implemented as a separate ship type. We've already got too many. Um, but how, how is that going to be balanced for? I, I can just see if they do have any offensive, they will have aff offensive abilities, I'm sure. But if they do, yeah, they I, have to. They, they do, but I reckon it will be things like your rocket fires or your bombs or your torpedoes will always get a flood unless DCP's down. So I reckon it's yeah. going to be those I, damage over time. Um, yeah, and, and keep in mind, I'm not a CV hater. Like, I, I'm probably what we would call a fence sitter. Like, I can deal with it. But it's still, that's a, it's a very big question. And, and I don't think it's one that they've even approached um, ever since the, the, the whispers started about support aircraft carriers. Um, I don't think that they've ever really addressed it. No, um, like, I'm, they've got the models. They're, they're probably good to go. It's more about getting their mechanics, their damage, and what they're going to do in the game correct. Look, if they make them too weak or non-useful, no one's going to play them. And it's simple as that, especially if you matched up against strike CVs. Love my cargo. <laughs> then we move on to 2023 in spring, so spring to come in the Northern Hemisphere. European destroyers. So this was mentioned in a dev blog previously, so second branch of European DDs. They'll feature countries such as Turkey, Norway, Poland, Yugoslavia, and Greece. Uh, go through the dev blog um, for more details. I can throw up a link there if people don't remember. In theory, though, um, the ships are going to be artillery destroyers equipped with smoke generators. At tiers 8 to 10, they'll also have access to a surveillance radar. So not sure if that's going to be either or at this stage or in combination. Um, that was going to be... My first question. I, I think people are thinking it's going to be a together thing, but either then the smoke or the radar, but we'd have to be short. Um, they get engine boost. Their main guns can inflict good damage per salvo, starting from T7. So if you're at T6 or 5, suck balls. Um, sorry, you didn't need earmuffs for that. And they have a flat tra uh, trajectory. Torpedoes are meant to be fast, but no real damage, so like other European DDs. Um, and they enjoy large hit point pools, but have mediocre AA. Thoughts, gentlemen? How do you think these boats, do you think they'd fit into random ranked or clan battles? Do you see, see changes or just just from that description of being smoke gun caliber farmers, are you happy to try them in the game as they stand? I'll, I'll throw a greenie on this one because I think I might rock the boat a little bit. I don't know. It depends on... It depends on, on how the consumables pull, um, pan out, in my opinion. Because if we get a line of, of gunboat HE farmers, congratulations, we have another gunboat Japanese line in the game. And you, you can definitely pull off some leg mod smoke gumo um, shenanigans in competitive. And, you know, Kitakaze always comes up in the Tier 9 Brawl season, or uh, whenever Tier 9 Brawl comes around. So I, I think that they're definitely going to have a place in the game. Um, because all, all the gunboat DDs do, regardless of how 
their stats are. I mean, hell, you you still see Kabrosks and Delnies and stuff running around, um, and they are they are like a hundred percent purebred gun DDs, yes. and then you have a lot more balanced ones. So it, it depends on where these end up in the spectrum. But I, I think regardless, they're they're going to see um, playtime and randoms. In terms of competitive, uh, it's gonna it's gonna depend because if they receive, but they got mediocre AA, so it's not like the original Pan European that had strong AA at the higher tiers. So yeah, that that's a thing because Holland and one of the things that made Holland and Smalland just the kings of uh, being of, of of DDs when there were CVs still running around was the fact that if a CV went near Holland, it was just not a good time. You know. Yeah. So they, they, they had the ability to operate in a unit and outside of a unit. So if we get a CV season and we get these things back, I don't, uh, and these things are out, I don't think we're going to see them. Yeah, I, I agree um, with, with that, that mediocre. I, I don't, look, I, I can't talk to the, the competitive stuff because mainly because I just don't have time. Um, the times don't match. But. I'm just really, really, really happy for like folks from Turkey, Norway, Poland, Yugoslavia, and Greece because I mean they've probably been sitting there going, "Oh, look, we've got some cool ships back then," but I'd, I'd like love them in game. I mean, I know as an Aussie, anytime they bring out a, an Australian ship or even Commonwealth ship, I'm I'm over the moon. So I'm really happy for them. the The whole gunboat flavor. I mean, it's every gunboat in the game is decent. Like it's. Because guns, guns are the weapon. So it's. I mean, they look really promising to me. They don't have it's a just, heal though, uh, from what I can see. From they may. Yeah, the but Harukimo but... and Kitakaze don't like. Mm. Yeah, but the, the... that's not. It's it's not something that's expressly needed to be an efficient gunboat. Either. You don't need a heal. No, um, no but I mean, if you've got smoke, it's... you're fine. Wait, yeah, exactly, that's, yeah. that's what it comes down. To. Um, but the one thing that annoys me about this, and um. I'll probably bring it up again, but the, where's Commonwealth line? Like, are you, are you f- kidding me? Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I know. It's the, the, another the, the, the HMAS Perth was one of the first premiums, like a few months it, after exactly, release, mate. and we're still waiting for a line. You know, when they first said, "Oh, look, oh, we hadn't thought of that," I'm like, "Yeah, cool, no worries. Okay, if you've got to start from scratch, two years, no worries." That was like four or five years ago. The like, the other thing. The other thing is, is I, I think that they were using the excuse at the time is that they didn't have the ships to flesh it out. Oh, when they, they've okay, got enough. now, now, now they just pulled an entire Dutch cruiser line out of nowhere, you know, and you know, don't, I, don't, I don't forget the, the Soviet CV line. Some of the battleship lines came off that. Oh, I won't say that. Exactly. Some of them. So I think that that excuse is really set sail. To use a nautical joke. Ooh, yeah, but I, I did it like I did a, a video series on this, and it's now out of date, like as far as concepts go. But I mean, the ships in there are, are legit. It was more sort of the gameplay suggestions I had. A kind of yeah. Um, but as far as real ships go, Commonwealth can do almost two lines to tier ten on DDs. Commonwealth can do tier eight easily. Real ships, and this is all real ships, can do with a bit of stretch and an escort carrier line, and it's got some of the Best depth as far as characters or, or, or ships with character out of any navy. Like, I mean, keep in mind that but between the Com- all the Commonwealth nations, I think they were the third or fourth biggest navy at the end of World War II. 
Yet we're still looking at like things like where we've got a Soviet split on mm. DDs. Like I just, it's oh, it, look, it, it's it's crazy because we we got we had three daring class DDs. So yeah, we've got the vampire two or vampire. Um, that's the one uh, that you get for research. But we got the vendetta. That that could be the tech tree. You can you can make them slightly different even. Um, there's many ways. And of the water hen. Yep. Uh, Greeny would love to be sailing in the water hen. Mm. Mm. Well, yes, they, had a, they had planned to do uh, uh, what was it? What is it? Anchors away. I think it's yeah the, down uh, on on V two. Yeah, like we'd we'd like I'd actually plan to go, and then obviously COVID hit, and you know everything went to shit. But is what it is. But the European destroyers would be interesting. We also get the speaking of new lines of the Spanish cruisers. So this is a full branch of Spanish cruisers. Low tiers they're going to get um, starting off at 120 millimeter guns and it says that high tiers it's going to be a 254 at tier 10. So nothing mentioned about the mid tiers. It will just be a, a pretty flat swap. I think, yeah, I think it's going to be just standard um, Eight-inch cruisers, uh, the mid tiers, nine and ten might get the two fifty-fours. Is this going to be like a comb- combination of light cruisers and heavy cruisers, or do you think it's going to be just a heavy cruiser line with smaller caliber guns? I think it's. I think it's going to be heavy. Uh, I think it's going to be consistently heavy cruisers at the very least from tier six up. Yep. Because uh, e- so okay. I was going to say in a lot of the lines, you don't really get true heavy cruisers until tier eight. Yep. So. Now it does say their primary not, feature. Not tier eight, tier six. Sorry, sorry, sorry. That's okay. It says the primary feature will be ability to fire a series of salvos. So it sounds like they're going to have the funny button, the F key, so you can do a single or a grouping of salvos. Hopefully, it's not going to be like the Canaris, um, where it's is the Canaris AP only. I think from memory. Hopefully, yeah, it does yeah. have it's, HD. It's two hundred three millimeter um, British AP is the Canaris. Um, so yeah, we'll see how we. How we go? Gun caliber creeps. I think um, you put your notes down here, Sap. Yeah. So my my issue, um, well, one of my big big bugbears in in water warships is scope or power creep, right? So my primary issue with um, say super ships is the saturation of uh, thirty two millimeter overmatch, and these are another line of two twenty nine plus millimeter guns, which overmatches sixteen millimeter of armor, which is like cru- cruiser plating at, at tier 10 in bow and sterns. Um, and that's, it, I have an issue with that because it's just slowly and incrementally increasing the sort of the arcs of ship design in the game. Um, as, as far as the cruisers, I love them. I love cruisers. So this is, I'm looking at this going, you beauty, because, you know, um, the Pan Am cruisers, I know there's a bit of uh, sort of kickback on designs and that sort of stuff. Yeah, the, 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 the cruiser commu- line, the community I'm happy. Wasn't, I'm, I'm happy with the cruise line, but yeah, we, we're well aware that the Pan America, or the, the American, South American nations or players were not and happy look, with their line. Yeah, and the thing is, look, another line, um, and, and, and as we're saying, like, this will be number two on combat instructions. I'm by the way it's reading. Um, so I think that that's just going to be a decision moving forward. Add flavor by using combat instructions. Um, but otherwise, be. I'm pretty pretty pumped about them because 
hey, another cru cruiser line. That's true. And sucks, we, sucks. Gonna have some fun. We get two new super ships, the Novel Sibirisk and the Devastation. Uh, so that one is uh, goes with the Petra Pavlovsk and the other one goes with the Conqueror. <sighs> two of the most controversial tier tens when they were introduced. So will the will, 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 will it be another in Petra, the same rotation? Will it be baby? a Petra Pavlos with a lower casemate and things that made her OP with the extra turret that rotates and more hit points? Or will the Conqueror have more super heals and um, more uh, hit am, points? Am I the only person that loves the Conqueror? Um, no, I, I love think the Conqueror. Better than the Thunderer. I, I, I like farming them in a DD. I love farming Conquerors, especially when they oh, can't mate, I love it. Mate, like, oh, I, I'm, I am a Conqueror enjoyer, but I also know how to load AP, and no one ever expects AP in a Conqueror. No, but... Um, I, think, I think we're going to get a 12-gun Petro, and the world is just going to collectively explode. <laughs> it's it's going to have the things that made it... Like, it's going to have the lower case made and um you can hit well. citadel good to go oh you can hit mm -hmm. citadel when it when it's side on but the pitcher is going to be ass in or nose in and it's going to plink plink well that's all right whatever uh, what is it devastation i'll just use a devastation to farm the novaraburis i'm terrible with slavic language Look, we'll see. We're being cynical on that. There was no real details other than the ship's names, but considering they're meant to be an up tier of the tier 10 equivalents, um, I, I'm, I'm scared. I'm scared. Now, some... Oh, I am I am too. I don't... I, I think Devastation is going to be like some whack-ass Marlboro on meth. That's, that's what I'm afraid it's going to be. Go back to the original Conqueror that you couldn't sit at all. Yeah, the original call with no Citadel that you'll like 70% of Citadel damage. We'll just go back to that. <laughs> now, something that's really exciting. We're getting a new map. We mentioned this last week with Bogsy. We need more maps. And uh, this map has been around before, the Seychelles. Um, it was released for testing summer 2022, but they had um, to go back and rework things based upon feedback and other things. So looking forward to seeing this map in the, the spring. Um, I put up the blog there so the gentleman on the podcast can see what it looked like. I, looking at the map for me, they in the example on the podcast, they oh, not the podcast, on the dev blog, they used a Brindisi and her range looked like she covered nearly half the map. So that's why I think this is a mid-tier map. Um, could be interesting. Uh, look, any new map is welcome, in my opinion. Um, thoughts, gentlemen? Seems to be a... One-sided map. Yeah, um, it's if you get the bottom side, you're you're in a strong position. Yeah, there's a lot of potential. Um, looking at looking at the map, like those channels heading up, sort of from the southern spawn. Like there's a there's a lot of potential, but I I look at that and I go without an aircraft carrier or something like that, it's going to be a very static park up next to an island zone out a cap sort of map and the southern side has the advantage there oh definitely um, like if, if you're wondering if you're listening to this and you get a time look at devblog 337 that talks about the map back when it was originally released and that's what we're looking at it may have changed since then but there's definitely the south side on that original map had the advantages around the a and d caps on the wings it just seems like 
It, you can use a relatively small group of, of teammates or, or potentially clan battles players to absolutely lock <clears throat> to absolutely lock down this A cap. Yeah, and, I, and I'm talking like four four freaking knocks here. There's no coming there, in. There's no, there's not a lot of room on that one two line because you have this massive tumorous island that spans the gap between A and C. And you just don't have anything approaching that on the other we'll, side we'll of the have map, to, uh, which I think... I think that's what they would have changed, considering this map is from 2022. They probably changed the south side, especially with those islands, not to be so biased. Can, can I speculate? I reckon they've just added breadth. So I reckon they've added, like, a functionally two grid lines worth of width out on the flanks. They, they, they need islands in the width. north because it's just if you get the south side, you can just entrench radar cruisers along those islands if there's no CV. Yeah, no, but no if one... you add width, you can get some stealthy cruisers, whatever, like out in the flanks, and then that sort of tends to break your mm. kind of static hold on, behind an island in, sort of in thing. In randoms, it may, but not in clan battles. Once you own those islands, oh, my, I, I can't talk for clan battles. Uh, that, that's, 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 where I'm, that's where I'm looking about it from, um, from that perspective. But look, more maps, more maps are great. And we get a new dockyard, the Dyson, fast battleship, tier 9 Japanese battleship. Um, bit of the blurb from her, she inherited a number of archaic features from projects developed in the 1910s, including the placement of a secondary battery guns in the casemates. Um, it's meant to be having highly accurate guns, but the number of guns are small. She has torpedo launchers. I'm going to assume 10k, similar to the key. And what was the other one that we got? A, was it a tier nine? I already forgot the um, name. She's got no. She's got 20k torps. But anyway, thoughts, gentlemen, on dockyard. Now I'm just going to. I'm just going to complain. This is my one rant. We've had numerous dockyards, but they've predominantly being bb based is that because wargaming said look if we do bb's players always buy it but like we've had only one dd zf6 we've had no cvs and god forbid no submarines <laughs> why did you have to bring that thought into existence but, but look the silent majority wanted submarines in the game so surely they'd be popular in the dockyard um like cruisers aren't frequent either we've only had uh the D7, the Provincian, because uh, we've, we've had the Anchorage, which is a heavy. We've had the Puerto Rico, which is a heavy. Um, so, gentlemen, do you think do you think there's a bit of a bias that we predominantly get BBs? And what do you think of the Dyson? Apologies as well. Um, I wow, there's a lot of questions there. The, the Dyson looks interesting. Uh, looking at her specs, the thing that I was interested about was the fact that her um, her dispersion values as far as uh, numbers are a bit different to Ismo, right? And then she's got a, an improved Sigma with eight, four, tens. Now, I think the shells are almost identical to that on Ismo. So lots of overpens or can't overmatch battleships, that sort of stuff. Yeah. But um, otherwise, I mean, she, she looks pretty interesting um, without playing her. Couldn't really... I, I, say, I, have, but... I haven't even played her either, but all I'll say is she has to be better than the Marlborough. Oh, yeah, without... without, so, without oh, so it has a pulse. That's, that's the benchmark. <laughs> the, it, the, the, issue I've got, the issue I've got with 
dockyard ships over the last, I suppose you say, 12 months is if they're pretty much always going to be cruisers or battleships, because as you were alluding to, what are the most common ship types that people want to play, right? Mm. And what are the most accessible ship types that for people to play? Cruisers and, and, and battleships, it's by default. Um, the That means that they're going to get more in monetary investment in those dockyards and that sort of stuff. But the, the issue I've actually had with, um, with dockyard ships is when they're subpar, I don't understand why so many of them have been either niche or subpar even within that that spectrum. Like, I mean, who the hell wants a Marlboro? I mean, I got it. I forked out some booster packs just to get it, but it's garbage. Anchorage, really average. And yet, I, I don't know how Wargaming's balancing uh, approach is is working at the moment because while all of their ships released that have been far more balanced you want people invested into the dockyard and into these new ships and i mean we don't I, have I john bart's and, 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 and george's released anymore no, you know what I, I mean no i think um the marlboro left a sour taste in many people's mouth and it, look the balance department I think start is working. We actually see balances every patch now, and Marlborough's had two buffs, two patches in a row. Her Sigma went up, and she takes she repairs more damage from a Citadel. So she's getting a bit of love because, my God, I hate playing her. Give her KGV's freaking HE. Problem solved. I a lot of the dockyard ships. Whenever, whenever I think dockyard rewards, it's never always the ship. At least for me, because you always include the the, the stuff you get along the way. So I'm always expecting to get a a boat. Yeah, at, they've been good. The they've been good with that. That like over the journey, you've yeah. got the renown. I was one of the renowns. I can't remember the rook. I can't remember that. But you got the graf Spey. Um, We've, we've you got the Huron for one of them. We, we've got a few good mid-tier boats through the dockyard for the free-to-play players. If you don't want to get the end boats, so those have been worth getting. Most yeah, underrated that's... ship is Garizia, like the mid-tier um, dockyard reward. Garizia, it's, oh, yeah. it's an absolute beast. In tier seven ranked, that that thing will clap with its six-kilometer hydro pushing PVs. Oh. I have no idea how it got missed until this or last year. Like I, I've been playing it for years. Going, this is a great boat, and no one's. Everyone's like, oh no, no, no! It's just got no tops. She she lacks alpha potential is one of her downsides. But you go into a game knowing that you've got tier ten German hydro though at tier seven. No, 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 no! But that, that that's not my issue. In a late game, I've been in games with her late game where. I need to get kills, and I'm doing damage, I'm surviving, but I'm not doing alpha damage. I'm not getting torpedoes, or no one's giving me broadside for my AP. So she's a good cruiser, but she doesn't have an alpha stroke ability to just delete a ship. Yeah, and look, she's a flanking zoning ship more than anything. So, I mean, I suppose you get to late game and you're, you're in that position. Well better decisions needed to have been made earlier on, maybe? I don't know. Ah, you, but it's a team game. <laughs> you don't have to... Look... Is it? Apparently, it's a 
team game. 1v23. 1v23. It's a team game. Ranked is... A oh, that's golden. I like that. I like that. Yes, you're fighting against your own teammates at times. But, um, look, I, I, I like the Dockyard concept. I, I'd love to see a DD. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd want another DD back in there. I think it'd be good to have a, a DD or a, a, a light cruiser or something. Don't get me wrong. I like collecting these battleships because, you know, there's a lot of these that are I think are very, very interesting. Um Oh, I was going to say, we, we haven't seen a lighthouse of this year, and I know a lot of people got Santa crates to get the Benham, but can you imagine the Benham being a dockyard ship, or through the auction house, how much money would it make yep. with people putting down the balloons? Yup, they'd make a lot. I, I made a YouTube video where um, Seppa a while ago for the Masashi, and I think we estimated was like 1.2 million just in balloon sales that they would have made US just from the thousand of Masashis they sold. That doesn't include that people bought like double the amount of dubs they needed. Um, it, some, of the, some of the boats are just instant wins for them. But And for a Masashi, it's still a bargain. Yeah, but so many people want the Benham. So imagine that going up. But um, yeah, but moving on... Um, Unique upgrade modifications. So this isn't the one to... Oh, yeah, this is the one to existing ships. So it's in DevBlog 414. So some large changes are coming potentially to existing unique upgrades. So my first comment, if you read the blog, it says, um, based upon feedback and analysis... Uh, this is me being very cynical, gentlemen. When did we ever give feedback on unique upgrades? Have you ever been asked in a survey or anything else on feedback? No. Um, no the, on the, unique upgrades? Probably not. I don't know. Maybe there was an in-game survey that popped up that I ignored. I don't know. No, I, don't, <laughs> I, I just My whole interaction with, with the upgrades has been, they're in the game. Yay! Grind out the missions. Okay. Hey, the missions are gone. Huh? <laughs> Buy them for RP now. Oh. Look, and the, the unique upgrades, they're, they're not legendary modules. They're unique. They're meant to be alternate playstyle upgrades. And some, some of these, I reckon, have been changed because they don't get played at all. Um, so I have... We're going to look at each of them. So I've put in... Um, so for the for guys here, I've put in the new bonuses, but also what they currently have. Um, and which slot they go into. So we're going to look at the daring first. Um, and she's meant to get the unique upgrades meant to be a bonus to detectability of minus 5%. So currently it's at minus 10. And torpedo tube um, bonus will go from minus 10 to minus 20. So 20% 20 quicker reload. But you still get the 15% torpedo damage because it's it's a heavier torpedo warhead. But you're giving up concealment. Gentlemen, I, I think this that one's a no-brainer. Giving up concealment on the daring, which is a slow DD for heavier torpedo damage, wouldn't have seen it played it's, very often. It's it's useless. Like, and, and, and I I have an issue with any of the UUs that are in that slot five because especially if as you're a DD. Not oh yeah, definitely. Like, I mean, you know, you can kind of understand as a cruiser. Oh, okay, I go to thirteen kilometers instead of twelve. No worries. That that that's a cost-benefit analysis, but. The detectability on a DD is just like, regardless of what the destroyer does, apart from some small spectrum of destroyers in game, concealment is god, right? 
if you're not running it, you're basically not a destroyer. <laughs> and in this situation, oh, look, Daring is not that stealthy. I mean, if it was only, if you lost 5% concealment on, say, a Shimmer for some extra torp buffs like this, ha ha, ha ha ha. Oh, you mentioned that. Daddy and show me a good time. Do you, you know imagine I mean? like, losing 5% of the Shimmer and getting increased range to go at the 15Ks or on your 12Ks or something stupid like your 8Ks go to 10 Mate, I'm a 20-kilometer shimmer enjoyer. Like, I love the zoning <laughs> potential of those tools, right? And no, 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 I, I generally go into it looking at it as a zoning tool rather than a damage tool. And, I mean, but this on a daring, daring's a gunboat. It's not a hybrid. You can try and pretend it's a hybrid, but if your torp range doesn't meet, like, 12-kilometer radar range... Yeah, look, you're, you're still you're still a ten a ten kilometer torpedo boat. Your reloads might be quicker; they may do more damage, but you're already a slow DD. So, I th I think this this change will work. Five percent. It's better than no detectability bonus that it did had previously. Um, Greeny, any thoughts? Lost Greeny, so I'll move on to the uh, Yu Yang. So the Yu Yang has been potentially um, going to be modified to main battery reload time bonus is increased from minus 15 to minus 18%, so it's going to fire 3% quicker. Uh, it currently goes into slot 5, which is concealment, and it currently gets a minus 15% battery reload time, so it now makes it minus 18. It gets smokescreen dispersion of plus 20% or 20% longer radar. Maybe geared with that Sun Yutsang, the new captain with the when you get combat scout, the main battery reload will be even quicker. I I still don't think this is uh, maybe worth it unless you're farming in smoke. Because you raid you can do a radar, but uh, No, it, it it's still not worth it. Like I mean, keep in mind also that the um the twins for Panasia have bonus to fire chance. Uh, I think it's 1 to 1.5, I think it's the, the buff benefit, yep. which if you look at it on numbers, probably trumps the reload you get from Sun Yat-sen or whatever the new commander is called, although that is a good commander. But the, oh, yes, say, mean, say yes, Yong. Sorry, Sun Yat-sen's the BB. Sorry for anyone that heard yeah, that. Yeah, No, no, say Yong's the T9 cruiser. Anyway, the... Um, Hello, I'm back. Hey, welcome back. Welcome back. But this, this is a radar mod. Okay, so this is this is for those uh, rare radar Yu Yang enjoyers um, because you don't care about concealment in this in this situation because you're going to do stealth radar where you're running in da 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 oh I'm spotted radar screw you so this is a minor buff to the damage it, it, it is I, I would still be hesitant especially random so I'd be hesitant run a radar you yang just because uh they're moderately common yeah they are still common i i, I play them now but i don't play them with the unique upgrade i play them oh, still look. with concealment oh i wouldn't but you know i mean right about now on on asia um radar minnow is more common than smoke minnow. oh yeah ra radar and, minnows beautiful. and radar you yangs i don't know maybe 30 40 percent of Yu yangs yeah Bear had an interesting one because I actually think the Bear unique upgrade's pretty good. Now this goes into mod 6 so this isn't concealment so the main battery reload time has been decreased from 80% negative to 60% so you still get, um, so now it's going to be a 60% main battery reload time increase. You still get minus 20% to your ship detectability 
and to submarines. So you're going to be like a super tall boat Kleber that has slightly better guns. I, I didn't think there was anything wrong with this mod, but obviously they buffed it. I'm not a French destroyer enjoyer, um, so I haven't actually tried this one. Um, but you should, yeah, you I should. Mean, it's... Getting getting to um, BBs at tier ten with a six point one detect on the Kleber that you can torp at eight k's and you just rotate like a pinum, and you fire your torps off that reload just at every seventy seconds. It's pretty funny. But why would I play a Kleber when I can play a Vampire too? Because uh, you can spew out torps every seventy seconds, and it's pretty funny when you do it. Because no one ever expects okay, a I'll play a Shimmer then. <laughs> you take the fun out of it. You take the fun out of it. I, I, I'm an uncultured, uncouth individual. So, yeah, I'll, I'll cop that. Um, Z52, it's getting a bonus to its torpedo speed of plus 5%. So this currently goes into slot 5, so this is your concealment. It currently has minus 15% torp reload tube time, minus 10% to torpedo detectability range by C. Um, and that already has a minus 5% ship's detectability range. So it's a small buff. Um, this turns the Z into a torp boat rather than an aggressive. You can use your hydro defensively to farm. I, uh, I'm i neither here or now on this one. I don't use this unique upgrade very often. Um, any thoughts, gents? It looks like just a straight upgrade. <laughs> Well, actually, that's slot 5, right? That's slot 5, so you're losing 5% detectability, so you can't stealth hydro in smoke, so you can still be effective, but um, you've got to be really careful, especially with the minus 15% torp reload time. If you do torp reload in module um, 6, you're going to get your torp reloads really, really um, low, and the minus 10% torpedo detectability, and the increase to speed now, they're making this Z-52 a torp boat. Look, it's an interesting alternate playstyle, but it's not one that most people would probably go for. Look, mm, I mean, yeah. mm. you go, Garini, you go. No, yeah, I was just going to say, I, had to, I was just double-checking, I was pulling up my Z, yeah, no, so you lose, yeah, so you lose 5%. Uh, so you essentially gain 5% if you're running Concealment. Yeah. It's an interesting one. You look, you become it's, a torp boat. Right. I, I think... Oh, sorry. You go, mate. I was just going to say, I think that this is, is a very good example of exactly what you said, where it being a change in playstyle and more of a trade-off as opposed to a, you know, min-maxing a certain aspect of the ship. Because there are a lot of people who already play Z-52 a lot more torpedo-focused. And I think that something like this would really cater to them. Because, you know, you, you have quick reload time in your torpedoes. Uh, like, I, I have, I'm running um, Torpedo Tube Mod 2 on mine right now. I just swapped it in. I have a 76-second reload, which mm. is freaking amazing. So when you minus fifteen percent um, on that with this as well, it, it, it's pretty big. It's even lower. It's it's basically going to be knocking on a minute, and minus ten on the on the detect. So instead of being detected at fourteen kilometers, you're detecting at one point three six. That minus ten's already there. So all the change for this one is they're adding an extra five percent to the speed of the torpedo. Mm. And that that's already going to be good too because they're already pretty quick torpedoes at seventy six knots. Yep, so, so another five. So they'll I, probably hit just under 80. 
yeah, I, I think that this is going to be a very, very good and, and, and interesting um, upgrade. I, I Look, I'm of two minds about it. One of the things that people tend to forget about Z52 is that the reaction time on the torpedoes, if I remember, is pretty good. Like, it's sort of, you know, your top five, top six at tier, something like that. Um, so, I mean, from that perspective, this is this is great. But at the end of the day, what is Z52? It's hydro and smoke, right? That's, that's its game. Like, it's going to catch you out and then its guns are just going to slowly shred you down and then in between you're going to throw some throw some torps out but i to be honest i wouldn't run a wouldn't run this upgrade and I, the extra five percent probably won't wouldn't make me run it but for those that do enjoy that torpedo z52 i mean this is great cool no worries i was already running it now you i get some extra torp speed yep. at the end of the day though the torps still don't reach all the radar threats so what are you doing yeah well these next two are flat nerfs first one's the, the midway so bomber crew speed is a decrease currently it's at 10 it's going to go to five percent so this already was in that mod six if you had played the midway this from my understanding this was a must-have module so um it's just making them slower but that you still get to 10 percent bomb damage um minimum speed of bombers and max is still increased etc so I, I won't talk too much about the midway one um it's it's still pretty strong same with the hack it's getting a a, a, a nerf to the squadron speed bonus it's decreased from 15 to 12 and a half percent and the boost time duration is being nerfed further from 20 percent to 30 percent um not sure if you're aware gents but using the legendary mod from the hack if memory serves me right you could um boost at the right time while striking a target with a fighter overhead use your heal and get out there was a certain build that you, you could get out without losing a plane um so this change hopefully would remove that i can't remember exactly where it was a while ago that look the, this is as far as i understand all right so um i'm not a carrier main i'm not great with them all that sort of stuff but i know a few folks that are, that are and i haven't spoken about these but on initial read the the the, the fact is that haku and midway are generally considered to be the best tier 10 carriers you can have an argument about fdr and whatever but no, no, generally not because you, have you met Immelman, no, 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 malta or um Nakamura? different yeah but the, the point is these two uh they're no longer balance tier 10 aircraft carriers to this level they they balance them against others um both of these carriers are amazing and as far as midway goes the he dive bombers are just stupid yeah, are. I, I don't know how they keep the how they can do the, the the turn that they do and then just nuke someone but like so i mean i can understand these mods getting oh sorry these upgrades getting a nerf um i don't think it'll change the uh, the the one i'm skeptical about is is haku just because the way haku works is so speed and focused that i'm i would have to talk to people who know i would have to talk to people who know to find out if it's actually a legitimate nerf, but I still look at the, both of these and go, they're probably still not they're, picks. They're, for, they're probably still going to be very strong. They're, if they're nerfs, they're tiny. They're not going to be groundbreaking. I don't know. That boost time minus, that's that's a 
nuke. Like that's that's pretty big. I I would. Wonder. Oh, the boost time. Yeah, but that's that's yeah yeah. yeah. Keeping in mind the, the speed speed focus. So correct. Oof, maybe. We'll wait and see. And then we have Henri. Now th these changes. I don't think Henri's played a lot in randoms. I don't see her much in competitive. She's still a strong boat, but um, it, it, the on unique upgrade's getting nerfed. Um, so reload time bonus is going from 12 to 10%, and the range bonus is going from 8 to 5%. Now, this goes into um, slot 5, and the, you've probably all seen the, the um, Lighthouse Henri where you build it with no concealment, so you, everything's quicker, including your main battery reload. Does she really need a nerf like this when we don't see her in game currently a lot? I don't believe so. I don't, I don't think it's warranted. This, this stinks to high heaven of a decision made based on popularity. Because currently, uh, the Honry is played as Lighthouse a lot it because is. its concealment's so garbage. Oh, and then. The, the UU is a default pick for that. Like, I mean, what else are you going to run? Oh, consumable duration. 10%, really? Not mm. even an extra salvo. So, yeah, yeah this, is, this is a popularity nerf from what I can tell. Yeah, now this next one, the Minotaur. This one's interesting. Now, I know you said predominantly on Asia they do radar. I play radar on my Minnow only. Um, but the smoke generator action time has increased from 150 to 300%. And smoke dispersal has uh, been nerfed from 15 to 20%. It goes into mod 5. So you already had a minus 5% to ship detectability. Um, this sounds more like a crawling smoke, nearly, for the Minotaur. It already is, though. I, I, this is one I was kind of confused about when I looked at it. I was like, well, the smoke Minnow crawling smoke's fine. It's just not many people run it because it costs some research points. But, I mean, yeah, it looks like another popularity change because the, there was nothing wrong with it existing it was just it's just not it's okay. just not picked very often what i suppose it's all about concealment so if you're a radar you'd never take um this one because there's no it, it's all geared around the smoke but as you said i like playing radar minotaur so i'd like to see a second unique upgrade maybe that would do something for i don't know but uh, this one suits only a certain play style um yeah and look and most people just don't get it because it's research points that they don't really need like i mean don't get me wrong it's a direct almost a direct upgrade for any smoke minnow player because you can be mobile and smoke which as we know is invaluable but people don't get it because why do they need to it doesn't really do that much for the research point cost no. but at least that's my read on it and especially if you don't have the boats and you want a t10 boat um you save those points rather than the unique upgrade um, the next or the last one on the list was the Kremlin. So they removed. <laughs> so they Ugh. removed the malice affecting the number of ships consumable. You used to get minus one to your consumables, and no one ever took this module because you already have five DCPs. Why would you go down to four or something like that? Uh, use a slot six. I still think, even though they've removed that, 
it's not a good mod. It's not a good mod in any capacity. You're losing twelve percent to your main battery firing range. I, I don't remember it's what it is top of my head. Is it nineteen? Twenty point seven. Twenty point seven. So you're losing two k. So you go down to eighteen k. So you yeah, you're 18, already eighteen percent main battery reload time. But slot six, if you use the reload mod, is a thirteen percent. So gaining five percent. I I. I I think it's a terrible unique upgrade. There's no alternate playstyle to this. You're a Kremlin that shoots 5% quicker with less range. You stick those in and you tank. There is no alternate playstyle. Yeah, it's not something that anybody has ever looked at and want, wanted. Um, I, I just think that it's funny because... When when the second round of of leg mods came out or or unique upgrades, you know, it, it, I I kind of feel bad for them because they had a lot of strong competition. Because you 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 know the first round you had like Moskva legendary mod, which mm -hmm. is very very powerful. It is. You, you had um, the the DM with the with the legendary pop the clutch. You know, you had all of Montana with the just inability. To, you know, get the steering gears, you had the, the Hindenburg that had the two second fires, you know, and, and that's, you know, all awesome mods to use. And then the second round, it's, you, you, the, you know, it's, it's stuff like the uh, Kremlin, you know, where it's like, eh, it's, it's not, not a too good, not a too good, not really something that anybody who, who has experience with the ship would really Look, want i you, you I put you put kudasov anybody with it you put kudasov in the kremlin and that, that's all you really need you don't need the, you mean kobnetsov yeah you? yeah the him sorry mm. it's this is this is kind of laughable at least on asia like we see a kremlin like maybe i don't know one in 10 tier 10 games um because we fight or most of the battles are fought at 20 plus yeah. kilometers right why would you Take a crap, like it's, it's just a damage sponge, it's right? The, it's the if same you've got a with Conqueror um, or whatever, you just burn it to the burn it to the ground, correct? And then you're going to take more range off it. Ah, uh, okay. Look, it, it may work in rank, but in random, it's, it's like what I don't run um, the Republic unique upgrade because a root moves like a massive 20% of its main battery, it goes like from 25k to 19k. So you're taking damage from it's a smart and opposing BB player won't press W to get closer to you. He's kiting out, keeping it 23, 24k. He's going to farm you, and you can't shoot him back. He's just laughing. And yeah. it's, it's like a Yamato. If, if you see a nose in Yamato, I, I just look at that and go, oh, okay, cool, free farm. If I see one like facing away, I know he's trying to keep his distance. He knows exactly what he's doing. Yeah. He knows his vulnerability on his citadel. Like he is going to be a pain in the. Um, but yeah, it's it's. Just... That's the same for any BB. When you see Slava kiting and your Vermont on that flank mosing on those in, it's like, well, you know who's going to win that one. Yeah, the Shimakaze. So yeah, those are all the unique upgrades. Now these are proposed. Um, they're going into PTS for twelve point one, which is currently going into now. So, but these are balance changes, and regardless of what happens in the end, I am glad that we are getting a 
balance changes because for too long there have been ships or modules that just just never got any love and they're at least looking at these things and going okay we were told that no one would play it um the daring one for example and no one did play it shock horror um so let, let's give it a change make people interested in it maybe frequent changes are always good they are look it keeps the game a little bit more fresh and relevant especially yeah, certain lines and it means they're looking at it, which is all we can ask for. Correct, correct. Now, in DevBlog 410, we got an update on the Greenies' favourite pair here, the Tashkent 41. Now, we thought a few podcasts ago that it had no smoke, no heal, even for a T7, it might be rough. So it's good to see that already it's been given a smoke during its test phase, according to that DevBlog we do have some information on her now because they had the um, base stats and these are all subject to change. So I'll go through some of them very quickly. She starts at tier seven, it's pretty high with, without even thinking of survivability expert. She gets 21,200 hit points. She gets 16 millimeter plating. She gets a three by one, 130 millimeter gun. So <laughs> her gunfire is a bit underwhelming goes to 10.5 kilometers because three by one turrets is i don't think is great um i can spit more dpm yes yes i won't go through the the damage is available the sigma is pretty good um at 2.0 for a dd so she's accurate but i think it's going to be as the dev blog said it's going to be a torp dd she gets a three by three 533 millimeter torpedo racks fifteen thousand one hundred damage per torp um that's pretty big for a T7. Um, 10 kilometer range, 60 knot speed, reload time of 70 seconds. Now that's T7, so she doesn't get um, module six, but you can still build a captain. If you've got like a 15, 20, 21 point captain, because it's a premium, you could build a, a captain that would do the reload even quicker. And the torpedo detectability is 1.2 kilometers. I reckon this could be a pretty annoying DD. AA is uh, non-existent. Uh, max speed at 44.8 knots. Um, engine boost, torp reload booster. Um, thoughts, gentlemen, on this one? Um, it, uh, it, earmuffs, earmuffs, earmuffs. <laughs> this, this is going to be rough. Earmuffs. I... I uh, it's still a piece of shit. I don't... Uh, yeah, the torpedoes have good range. Yeah, good reload. I, oh. I think that that's good. The The main thing that it comes down for me is... I, the, a two-year-old with a revolver, I think, would be more threatening in a, in, a, in a fight. So you're essentially... Granted, with that 44-knot max speed, you can control the engagement you, you will especially, especially as a tier seven can you imagine you're gonna see tier nines but imagine being up in a tier five bb and this yeah. thing comes at you at 45 knots yeah, ima yeah imagine imagine being in a nicholas and trying to run this thing down you're just not gonna do it because he's just gonna see you go oh he's walking at me and then he's gonna run away <laughs> which yeah but that's under ideal circumstances, and that's that's a a, a person interacting idea or uh, reading a situation and and reacting to it ideally, which isn't always going to happen. And this thing is, I think, it's just going to be food because 
uh, as much as it pains you to admit it, I don't think the the average player is going to adequately take advantage of the tools that the speed gives you. I think that they're going to be like, all right, this is a torpedo belt with a relatively short torpedo reload. So I'm going to speed in. I'm going to launch my torpedoes. I'm going to hang out around my torpedoes range from my target. I'm just going to keep torpedoing it into the ground. And I, I think that it just takes one errant radar, one errant DD spotting this thing. And you're, you're just you're just kind of up shit creek. I, I, I think the ACAT's in a similar... Sorry, you go, Sapper. I, I think we're thinking along the same lines. I completely disagree with you, Gree, and I usually agree with you. Um... I think that this is going to get sledgehammered before it comes out. Yeah, I, it's current, I agree. Moment, Currently, I think it's quite good. So, so here's why, right? Um, I crunched some rough numbers, right? Um, Akatsuki is 122k, roughly, torpedo DPM, right? The next after that yeah. is Mahan, right? At 96. There's a massive gap there. This sits at 116. So it's almost Akatsuki torpedo DPM, except it's got a torpedo reload booster, it's got the most health for any tier seven destroyer at twenty one point two k. I think that beats the next best by like two k or something like yeah, that. That's stock. That's and even it's without got, survivability. Expert. Yeah, and it's got yeah. it's got pretty average gun power. But at the end of the day, if you've got like better than ten kilometer torps at tier seven with that much torpedo DPM, and I don't know what the reaction time is going to be on those torps, but based on their concealment, it should be pretty good. Um, this is going to be a torp boat. It's going to probably be better than Akatsuki. And Akatsuki, I mean, I know some folks don't like her, but she's arguably one of the one of the best um, tier seven destroyers if you consider how to play her. Correct. And she doesn't have that great. She doesn't niche. have great conceal. Yeah, I mean, I think she is better, but the. I, I'm looking at this going. This is a dark horse, mate. I reckon it's going to get slammed, even with I, that 6.8 conceal. So I, I agree with you. I think that on paper, it is a very, very strong ship. I think that it is a strong ship that not every player is going to be able to take full advantage of. And that's where I, I think the problem is going to lie. Completely agree. Because you could say that for any ship, though. No, definitely. But I, I, I think that with these ships that are more specialized, I, I think it is a point worth bringing up. Because, yeah, you can say that about, you know, it depends on the player when, you know, even, even if it's something like the United States. Yes, it does. But w when it comes down to a more specialized boat like this, where it's more of a, a slotted play style, you're, you're kind of slotted into a play style rather than the U.S. just spending out planes at you until you die. I, I think that in that instance, it's it's something worth mentioning because yes, on paper this thing is incredible, and I I cannot wait to get my hands on it uh, in game no, no, if it's no, in the no. current state. Like I look because, at the shells, it's a but, four second reload even with the three turrets. The I don't even look bad. at the guns. I don't even look at the guns because you you have negative again a toddler with a handgun. I think would be more scary than this thing, but it's not about the guns. It's it's about the 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 torps. The combination of the area denial and the the just weight of torps that you can vomit at something, which I think is going to be very strong. But again, I, I still think that as somebody who's played 
a few games in randoms and have seen the wide range of players that we have playing boats, I don't think that it's going to be a, a a ship that is going to be universally viewed um, well. And I, I, I don't think that it's going to be played... I don't want to say played correctly because you, you can have ships in many different circumstances play be played different ways and still work. But I, I don't think that this thing is, is going to be able to be taken fully advantage of. Um, I, I'm going to disagree. I, I, I think even a good chunk of the population will see this as a boat that you can zip into that 10k range. You can zip out of trouble because you're, you're going at 45 knots, rounded up by 0.2 of a knot, but you get an engine boost that's probably going to give you extra 20% on top of that or 10%. You know, that's nearly 50, 50 knots you're traveling at. You can zip in. It's not going to be like a parlor milieu, but you can do your torps, zip back out. You can get into trouble and deploy smoke to go dark, but you're going to be quick. You're going to run and gun at range when your torps aren't ready at that 10Ks, and you're just going to speed you. I, I, people play Leningrad in a similar fashion, and they may not be great players, but they understand how it plays. So I think this one is no. going to be a bit of a winner. And I and and I think that that's that's very fair as well. But for every Leningrad, you see adequately balanced the the aggression and the the disengage potential that the speed has. For for every one of those Leningrads you see, you see ten Leningrads run in, be like, Ah, yes, I'm going forty four knots. Nothing can hit me. Oh my god, I just got seven K'd by a Bagnoni. What the hell? Oh my god, I'm dead. You know, it's. I hate to be. I hate to be a raving cynic, but with with the way I I, I go through life and the, with the way I look at things, it's it's it, it's more of an across the board look at things, which means you have to take in the top end and, and the bottom end of, of situations. And I, I look. I'll, I'll, I'll give her a negative. Her AA is um, really. It's a tier not, seven destroyer. Her her her, her, her AA. Her AA, her AA is non-existent. Um, her, she gets like uh, 91 damage per tick at under 1.5 and 42 damage per tick at up to 2.5. What tier 7 destroyer has good AA? <laughs> oh, but this is this is exceptionally bad. So I, I keep the smoke for when the CV's hunting. It does... Ooh, ooh, instead of doing... Instead of only doing 22 damage at one and a half kilometers, you know, my Akatsuki could do 68 at 1.8. Hey, I can shoot down a fighter plane once every five minutes. Yeah, Instead of once every four minutes. Like, I I still think she's going to be okay if they don't change. If it comes out like this, I would happily play her. If anyone wants to troll me as I'm streaming on Twitch and request this when she comes out, I will be up for the challenge. No, yeah. I'm probably going to be getting in and playing it too, but she's getting nerfed. But like, yeah, she's I, an auto I, pick up on those numbers. Like, yeah, yeah. Look, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm a raving cynic. That's all good. We'll keep we'll keep our our eye on the uh, Tashkent Forty One. But look, we're getting a few boats coming in. There's a few more premiums. We're, we're going to have a lot of tech tree ones to review with the um, Pan American Cruises and the Spanish Cruises. So we've, yes. we've got a lot of boats to discuss in the future weeks. That is going to be good. I cannot wait to sink myself into all of these uh, cruisers that probably should have just gone into a uh, 
Australian tree or something. A Commonwealth tree that are going into a South American tree. I'd Ooh. love a Commonwealth tree. Before we go into the special question of the week, Wargaming, if anyone's listening, can we have a Commonwealth tree? We, there, there's Australia. Don't worry about New Zealanders. They're claiming that Leander is their own with the skin. Leave them with that. But we, we've got... Um, We've got South Africa, we've got Canada, you've got the British Raj, you've you got plenty, plenty. Um, so yeah, let, let's hope we get one soon. But we've got a special question of the week. How are we doing? Ladies and gentlemen, it is, it is Captain Green here with your history question of the week. Um, Griefer yelled at me and beat me. Behind the um, behind the scenes here, because I, I asked a tank question last week, so we're going to segue back into naval history. Um, <laughs> no, he, he, he told me you enjoyed the beating, and it's nearly Valentine's Day. Yeah, listen, I, I, all right. Full disclosure: I I was going to ask a Warhammer question, but he was like, "Nope, f no." I'm using my veto on that, which is fine because I've been watching a lot of and reading a lot of Warhammer this week, so I've been on a bit of a binge. But we're going to uh, keep it relatively simple this week, and I just want to Is know. Is it spoilers? Um, <laughs> you want to know what? It wasn't, but now now it is going to be one of those questions. How many boilers no, does no. a? Yep, yeah, I'm doing it again. This this memes. Uh, no. Boilers? No, no, I'll never stop, mind. I'll stop. <laughs> no, it's fine. I love it because every week I just, the judge is just immediately just, hey, boilers. It's like, yeah, oh, no, I'm not giving you a code. Um, how many shells did a Yamato carry? I don't know that off the top of my head. So that, that'll be good. I can't wait for uh, Edward to DM me as soon as I wake up and tell me how, how um, tell me the answer to that. But I, I don't know. Let me know. And the first person to get me this will get, a uh, CC code that has three Christmas crates in it. Oh yeah, baby. Mm. We're taking these out of the deep freeze. The first person who DMs me the correct answer will be getting those three CC codes. And um, yes. So there's there's that. I just confirmed that they work. I got 1,500 doubloons. <laughs> I'm, not embe- I'm not embezzling podcast funds, though. That'd be very rude. As he embezzles them. Ah, uh, all right. Um, we must say farewell to Sepa. Thank you for your company, sir. It was lovely to have you on. Thanks, guys. It's it's actually been surprisingly enjoyable. What? Surprisingly, you, you thought, you, you you thought it was with me. You thought it was going to be dull and boring. No, 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 no. I just <laughs> didn't know if Granny would try and hit on me and abuse my fangirlness. Ooh. Maybe, maybe. That's all right. I'll, 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 be, away, mate. I'll be. I'll be like. Never mind. I was gonna make a bad joke. <laughs> never mind. Never mind. Never mind. They're the best kind. Thanks, Seppa, for no, joining yeah, us. It's lovely to have you on. Anytime, brother. Uh, look, uh, I'll, I'll just do a, a subtle plug. Um, yeah, I, I make YouTube videos um, when I have time. Um, Sapper Effect on YouTube, and uh, keep an eye on the Reddit because I generally get pins when I do drop them. So, but um, otherwise, um, yeah. Thanks. Yeah, Thanks you could, if you give me your get, um, YouTube link, I'll add it to the description for this week as well, please. I, I also get interactions yeah, on the subreddit whenever I post the podcast. I get yelled at by moderators, so that's always good. 
let me know if you've got issues. <laughs> I will, no, I'll be, I'll, I, I solve issues. I don't, I don't have issues for very long. No, anyway, look, yeah. Thanks, guys. No, it's it wonderful talking to you, Sapper, genuinely. So. Take care, Sapper. We'll speak to you soon. <laughs> Catch you later. And yeah. you're all right for a yank, Greeny. No, I know. I'm the best. <laughs> His mum tells him every day. Um, yes, ma'am. Um, Say moving... hi for me, by the way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you bastard. Are you earmuffs. Earmuffs. History section for earmuffs. Yeah. <laughs> so, last week... You wanted to learn about the different eight-inch guns of the war. Yes, I thought that was a good topic because every nation it did. Is. Some eight inches were better than others. Exactly, because a lot of people going, a lot of people, whenever they think of um, military construction of weapons, you think, hey, it's not all that hard. It's a breech assembly, a barrel, some semblance of a loading mechanism, and a turret. Um, when... It, it's a lot more complex than that. And there, there's a lot of other different things uh, in it is as well. So first thing first, I, I want to get out of the way is whenever people are talking about mounting or whenever I'm using the word mounting, I'm talking specifically about the cradle that the gun itself is mounted to. That does not mean the turret. There's a massive misconception that guns are mounted to turrets. Turrets are more of armored covers over mounts. Um, Trust me that that'll that'll come that'll come in and be important um, once we go through here because some of these eight-inch guns actually had limited anti-aircraft abilities and could be elevated to in some cases up to uh, seventy to eighty-five degrees uh, to engage aircraft, and that was due to the design of the mount and uh, not not just specifically the turrets. But we're going to start off with the British Mark Eight naval gun. Um, they were built in the 30s, and Britain just decided to not change them because they worked, quote unquote, well, so well. Why, why change anything that does work? Exactly. It, it, was, it was a normal 8-inch gun, it was baseline, 50 calibers long. It had a uh, wire-wound tube encased within a second tube and a jacket with a breech block. Uh, it is a just said Welland breech block. It didn't say um, if it was a, a screw type or something, but I, I would assume there's some semblance of, of the breech block screwing yeah. into place. Um, it was hand operated or hydraulic, which hey. I would not want to have to move an eight inch breech block. I, I, I think I, I'd I, rather just leave the ship. I'd go AWOL. You, 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 mock, you mock the hand operated, but. Um... A while ago, I, when I we got some Corvettes still as museum ships in Australia, and I, I took my daughter to one, and the main gun at the front was all hand operated. Yeah, and that sucks. And I actually doing it with a five inch gun's not the end of the world. No, an eight inch gun is an exponentially larger and, and heavier piece of equipment. Yeah, and that that's another thing that people kind of have as a misconception because a lot of people just okay five inch gun. It's not that big in a naval sense. Destroyers have them, you know, not that big. When, again, if, if you go and see them on a Corvette, or if you're like me and you have 18 and a half billion Fletchers still in the U.S., you can go and see um, a, a Fletcher and you realize that the eight inch gun, or that the five inch gun isn't all that small compared to 
what you thought, you know, com com compared to uh, kind of what your mental image was. Yeah. And it's the same story with an eight inch gun because it's even larger and, and heavier and it, it, the size just goes exponentially I, I just up. found I just found it funny from your notes here, like looking at the British one um, before we move yes. on to the others, that each gun could fire approximately five rounds per minute, which is actually fairly good. But then in the last note, the useful life expectancy was 550 effective full charges per barrel. So if that's five rounds per minute, like if you're if you're in a serious combat, like your gun's going to be gone by an hour. Yep. Yeah. If 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 you're just continually, if you have the hammer down and you have a uninterrupted supply of ammunition, yeah, you will burn out your barrels. Which is something that, again, that's something that else that a lot of people don't take into consideration is barrel life, which is key for ships like this. Because the second you get uh, warping the barrel or any semblance of damage to the rifling, it gets exponentially harder to... Um, for the ballistic computer to accurately project where your shells are going to land. So that, that's why they have uh, EFCs, which is Effective Full Charge Lifes. Um, this the, the, is actually something... Oh, the, oops, sorry, sorry. No, you go. No, 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 you go. I was going to say, the, the French, it doesn't list their life expectancy, but again, um, I was just going to the French um, 203 millimeters. Yeah, it, it was six if I or it was six hundred if I remember correctly. Most of them hover around five to six hundred. So there's no real difference in technology there, but look, it's still like looking at the Germans, they're at five ten. Yeah. So. The um, the the Mark Twelve I think was north of a thousand rounds, which is is incredible. But but we'll get there. Something that I actually learned about the um, Mark Eight was that it is a bag gun. Um, it had um, cordite charges. Two cloth bags containing fifteen or thirty-three pounds of cordite were used to fire the projectile. Um, eight inches are in that weird territory where there are still systems that have two. I call it two-stage ammunition, where they have a, a physical projectile and then the propellant are two separate entities. And you also have people with, um, there are a few 8-inch guns that use full full casing, where it's, it's essentially just a large bullet. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's an 8-inch gun, and the Mark one or Mark 8 mount originally could elevate to 70 degrees, and, um, you know, shoot... Eight-inch shells against aircraft, the Mark Ones, yeah. and then the Mark One As uh, or Mark Twos could uh, only elevate to fifty degrees, and they they were only used against surface ships. Yep. Um, another one that we have, another contemporary of the time, is the French um, two hundred three model nineteen twenty four gun, which was by far. The uh, lightest of the two, the British uh, mount was roughly in the neighborhood of 200 tons, and the would, French one came in at 177 tons. Would that be which, more design, or it'd be, you'd think about it would be more materials that they used, even if they used different materials, or do you think it's just a design that the British had that the barrels were thicker in certain spots? I, I think that it was... Um, 
I, I, I well, the, this is the mounts. Yeah. Um, or the guns. Yeah. I, I think that it was, um, I think that it, it really boils down to materials. The, the French also had no, the French were, how, how do you say this? They were exactly gun tubes. There weren't any steps on the gun barrel or anything or any sort of recoil mechanism built into the guns. Okay. So they, they're a relatively simple weapon. Um, and they, these were relatively simple mounts, minus five to plus 45 and a elevation rate of 10 degrees per second. Yep, I can see that the French still use so. charge charge bags as well, which is, and then the yes. rammer drove the shell into the breach with the powder. Wow. Talk about going yep. back to age of sail. Yep. Because um, a lot of the projectiles are very, very heavy. You know, it's not that hard contemporarily to just chuck a 33-pound bag of cordite in there. Yep. And that's, that's the other thing. All these guns use cordite. Um at least in the statistics and the rate of fire that we were talking about. And as Griefer said earlier, it was four to five rounds a minute. And so we, we, all, you, we all remember what happened to the British battle cruisers that left Cordite open around their turrets. It's not good. Do not, do not free stack Cordite. Keep it where it needs to be. <laughs> it was designed to stay in the magazine. Leave it in the magazine. Yeah. Now, after this, we have the German 203 centimeter SK. C-34. Uh, these were the guns that were used on the Hipper class. Uh, all like three of them that were finished. The rest were turned into rail guns and coastal guns. Um, it was just a, a standard kind of gun, you know, rifle tubes uh, encased in, with an inner and outer jacket. Now, this had a horizontal sliding breech block. So, um, the breech was Breach was sealed with a 40-pound brass case containing 66 pounds of smokeless powder and a 160-gram gunpowder igniter. A cloth bag containing an additional 40 pounds of smokeless powder and um, gun, uh, gun some, some more gunpowder there. Yes, thank you. Was loaded in be was loaded between the projectile and the brass case. I don't know what this means. I don't know if this is just Germany over-engineering something that doesn't need to be. But it seems like it went projectile, bag of, of powder, 40-pound bag of powder, and that, that then pretty a big on this smokeless pound, powder. Yeah, then a 66-pound smokeless powder case, which... Is interesting because if I remember correctly, cordite and smokeless powder burn at different rates, which means you'd have an uneven expansion and the projectile would come out a little wonky. But it's, it's also the space, like you gotta, like that's double, not double, but 40 pounds. It's yeah. Still a lot more the other, than it's a lot more and it's two different size charges. Mm. Uh, charges. Which is really freaking weird. Um, because you got to remember, it's 40 pounds for the bag in between the projectile and the brass casing. The brass casing is 66 pounds. That, that, that's, that's a, yeah. That's, yeah. That's a lot of extra space. But that was the Germans' issue. They still had a good mm. rate of fire, still f um, five rounds per minute and up to 510 um, uh, salvos per barrel. So, yes. different I'm technology under with the loading, but end result was still the same. 
Yeah, end result was still the same. But again, uh, Germany tried a whole bunch of whack-ass stuff uh, during the Second World War when it came to their naval uh, development, naval designs, and that's just this is just another evident uh, piece of that. We, we we talk about the way, but wait till you hear about the Japanese ones next. Okay, the Japanese eight-inch gun, I think, and I I will defend this to the ground uh, till my till my dying day. Japan did not know how to create an eight-inch gun. Um. Ugh. <laughs> Ugh. It used a single 74.5-pound powder charge to fire an 8-inch projectile. What the fuck? <laughs> That's a lot. It's a lot. But, the, but these guns had a, a life expectancy of only 320 to 400 per barrel. Like, we're talking about 500s to six, 500s for 550s. Um, for all the British, um, French, and uh, German. But 320 yeah. to 400 is a lot. Like, if you're into a battle or two, you're going back to port to replace these turrets a lot quicker each and every time. Rem- read that next sentence as well. Yeah, rate of fire varied they- from four rounds per minute firing at low angles to two to three at maximum elevation. So... Uh, if these were, if these were manually loaded, it'd be a it'd be a yeah I can understand. So the rate of fire was slower as well. Now the other thing that I uh, that all of these haven't mentioned is the a lot of the time these guns had to disconnect from the firing computer, uh, to, which would allow the guns to um, return to zero elevation and then. Uh, a lot of them had to then re-elevate the, the gun barrels. Um, Japan had to do that too. They just, I don't know, I guess their hydraulics were shit. And uh, their, the rate of fire when they were firing at high elevations. And, and a- anything above 30 degrees is considered high elevation by this table, by the way. So it's, it's still relatively not all that high. Um, but then, you know, anything above that, you're down to two to three rounds a minute, which is... That, that's that's bad, considering everyone else is getting four to five or five at minimum. Yes. Um, and once again, like the British, uh, these guns were initially mounted in turrets and on mounts that had elevation, uh, that could elevate to 70 degrees to engage aircraft. That's exactly what I want to do with a gun that can't reload at high elevations is use it to shoot at planes. Yes, please. They were, Sign they, me up. They proved impractical. Imagine being yes. poor dude that had to work on that. Well, no, no, you want to know what? Here, I'm going to do this on the, on the show notes. You ready? They proved impractical. What a shame. <laughs> at least they realized uh, that early on and they did modify them. Yeah, they, they took out the higher elevation turrets and they just put in the in the fifty five elevate uh, fifty five degree elevation turrets. But Jesus Christ, I wanted to know what it was like to be in the boardroom for. Okay, yeah, we have a gun <laughs> that we can't load at certain angles. That is slow to load to begin with, and you the barrel there is incredible though, because if, we're slamming seventy pounds of powder into it. If they came across um, like planes. From- like they planes would have been slower in those in the thirties and so forth at those stages. So the guns may have been practically fine through their design process, but as as the time went on, that it became impractical. 
That's true, but this is also the nation that created a triple deck flight, uh, triple flight deck aircraft carrier. Oh yes, that that went down so, so well in the end. The yeah, photos exactly. of that are still pretty cool to see. Yeah, it looks like somebody took a sawzall to the front of the ship, like somebody tried to steal the the catalytic converter off the ship. Anyway, anyway, yeah, we we're have, up to the Americans. You have the creme de la fucking creme. Uh, uh, Eight-inch guns. They're, they're, they're the men that loaded these guns. I won't say lazy, but they had an easy time compared to every other nation. Yes. The 8-inch 55, baby, Mark 12. We're not even going to talk about the Des Moines guns. But these are just the Mark 12s, which were on the Baltimore's, um, your Pensac not your Pensacola's, New Orleans, uh, all, all the, the cruisers pretty much after that. I like how the British used cloth bags. The Americans are like, now we're using silk bags to load yeah. our smokeless powder. It was, uh, if I remember correctly, all of the U.S. naval gunnery, uh, all, all of the U.S. naval guns used silk, and that was to prevent static electrical uh, discharges. Yep. If I remember correctly. Because, again, you know, ask the British at Jutland, you know, ships exploding is not fun for the people on those ships. But it's a fun so, engaging mechanic in game. Why not real life? Yes. Well, you know, when the pixel uh, people die in game, it's not all that bad. When you lose 2,000 mm. sailors in a, in a ship, eh, it's, it's a little worse. But I must say, the the rate of fire on the US one is down compared to the British and the French. You're only getting uh, four rounds per minute compared to the five. Mm-hmm. This is... Now, the other thing that I'd like to, for you to uh, look in is... This is the super heavy American projectile. So it is 335 pounds compared to the Japanese 277. The uh, German, I'm not even going to try and sort through. There's so many different numbers in the German ones. It's, um, it's not the 380 grams. <laughs> no, it's 380. Ah, uh, yes, we will have three different, three different things that need to go into the gun. Yeah, okay. <laughs> And you know, well, the, 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 the British, British pound was two fifty six. Yeah, exactly. And the U.S. is chucking a three hundred and thirty five pound projectile um, with roughly the same powder because it was two forty three pound bags of smokeless powder, and uh, it could do it up to thirty thousand yards, um, which is pretty freaking nice for an for an eight inch gun to uh, launch launch projectile out to. Uh, for those of, for those of you who don't know how conversions work, thirty thousand yards is essentially uh, thirty kilometers. It, it, the the U.S. could really, really, really get the shells out there. It, it's um, actually no, I'm sorry. We have we have it right next to it. It's twenty seven and a half twenty seven kilometers. Yeah, my bad, my bad, my bad. That's okay. I, you, I you're, you're forgiven this one time. I I forgot that. America had to be a quirked up white boy and, and make all of our units of measure. That, that is just, just looking at those different nations. Like we didn't include the Italians, but that is a huge difference for the same caliber. gun. Yeah. You're talking about the shells and everything else. So the storage of the shells, the, the powder and everything else, it's just massive. And the rates of fire or the barrel wear and tear, like there is, Massive discrepancies between each of the nations. I, did, I didn't even include the the truly incredible piece, which I'd argue is is the eight inch guns, the Des Moines. The Des Moines is freaking crazy. 
uh, that that whole eight-inch gun arm system. Trakinefeld has a wonderful video of him crawling around and banging his head on numerous bits of it, but it is a incredible automatic loading system that works at almost any angle, which is what allowed for the Des Moines just to just have that incredible rate of fire. And the guns that were used, I believe, were Mark 16s, which were basically Mark 12s that they modified for each so they could accept the automatic loading system. So this is the the, the quintessential. The, the pinnacle of eight-inch gun technology during the uh, Second World War. But yeah, I didn't include the Italian one because I didn't want to meander over aimless facts again. That's you know, all good. Just kinda... that, that, that's pretty cool and history. Thank you for that. Not a problem. Alrighty, on that note, I think we'll end it there. Sapper's already gone, but thank you again to Sapper. Thank you to Captain Green for making the time as he does to co-record this. I know it's late his time, so thank you, sir. You are 100% welcome. I have absolutely immolated my sleep schedule. 2 a.m. <laughs> is now my 10 p.m. Thank you, Greeny. To anyone uh, listening well. to this, enjoy the game. Have fun in the season. We'll catch you next week.